Jumbo jet, all aboard. Tell the bitch, don't stop sucking till I'm sore. Bitch, I ball like with just bricks. Fuck the score. I got that bitch covered like Christian Dior. That's my and that's my favorite part is the is the gremlin voice. Yeah, because Starlito. There, I mean, I was trying to figure out what that sounded like. I guess a gremlin or Chucky or something. <laughs> a little <laughs> bit like Chucky. A little yeah. bit like Brad Dorif. Um, yeah. No, that's the best part. That's why I love that song so much because it's because uh, the chemistry they have and they're like they're so excited for each other's verses. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. Oh wow, we're doing a music podcast. Is that- uh, I think so. No, that was um, w- I think that was that was actually just my favorite. That was my favorite song in 2011, and we decided. Oh to yeah. The pot, since this is a a best of 2011 year in review, year in review, we would open and close the song uh, the Show. podcast. With That's our, what we're doing. Yeah, the show. We're doing a show. <laughs> I know. We'd open and close with our favorite songs of the year, and that was my favorite song. It's uh, called Boats and Hose by uh, Don Tripp and Starlito from their Step Brothers mixtape. I strongly recommend you guys go out and download that. I'm pretty mm. sure you can find it for free legally. Mm-hmm. That is the nature of mixtapes, is they're for free and legal online. Yeah, and uh, later at the very end of the show, you get to hear my favorite song of 2011, uh-huh. which is... John Mouse with Believer, and that's uh, John, you know how to spell that, Yeah. with uh, his last name is spelled M-A-U-S from uh-huh. the album, We Must Become the Pitiless Censors of Ourselves. Wonderful, crazy, weird uh, synth pop. Which... I thought you were still doing the, the album name. <laughs> we Must Become the Pitiless Self-Censors of Ourselves, Wonderful, Crazy, Weird Synth Pop. Yeah. It's like the uh-huh. Fiona Apple second album. Yeah. Just endless. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Or any, I, any song by if there's Montreal. One, if there's one sort of, uh, uh, you know, thing that kept popping up this year for me is my love for synth pop. Uh-huh. Um, even before the Drive soundtrack came out, I just sort of uh, had the epiphany that, oh, my God, I love New Wave. I love right. synth pop so much. The cars much. Yeah. big for you. The Buggles. Uh-huh. <laughs> And this that was the album. Year. That album with "Video Killed the Radio Star" is fantastic. It really is. Yeah. Uh, and this was the year that I got really into rap. So. Oh really? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I was into rap before, but this is the year I really dug in. You know. Yeah, big time. And you know, I listen to all Mob Deep's. I love Mob Deep. I listen to all the Mysticals sort of discography. I listen to E Forty. I just you know really really got into E Forty. So. Mm. Yeah, he's one of those guys that I've uh, grown to love as well. And people I'm not are, the, people are turning it off. I'm not they, the biggest <laughs> it's a music podcast now that these Wait, fuckers we're doing don't a, we're about. doing a movie podcast. Yeah. So this is our top 10 uh, you know, year in review 2011. Mhm. We are, an, this is this is Directors Club by the way. And you know, uh, w- yeah, of course. I don't I, know why every every podcast in the world has to say the name, but they everyone like no one is like downloads a podcast but then doesn't know the name of it. That's true. You know. I am Jim. I'm Patrick. So isn't I mean we just have to do that. <laughs> I know. It just feels wrong I know not to we do, do it. <laughs> Sometimes I have OCD about certain things like formality. we have to say this. Yeah. It doesn't go on. We have to follow the formalities or else we'll get yeah. canceled. And then people won't know who I am and who you are. They'll, you know. I've heard people have d- trouble telling our voice apart, which is weird to me, but hmm. I mean, I understand it because uh, every other podcast every other podcast I ever listened to 
there's always like one person whose voice I know well, and then the other people I always get mixed up. I could start talking like this. Yeah, you start talking like that. Okay. Will do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, okay, no more. No okay. more. Okay. You sound like if Alfred Hitchcock was a monster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We're really excited about this show. It is. We're going to it's a, it's kind of an epic show. There's really. no director centric. There's no guest. That no. feels weird. Yeah. I mean, this is how we started. I mean, we should bring up the fact that this is pretty much the one-year anniversary of us recording this Mm -hmm. podcast, and I couldn't be more uh, grateful for the listenership and the emails and all the support. Incredible! Yes, thank you, guys. You know what? If I had to pick a number one for 2011, it'd be everyone listening. Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't know. Thank you, guys. Now that I think it's about been it, it's been great. It really has. I mean, there's a few in-house things we should mention that sometimes we forget to bring up at the beginning of the show. Um, but definitely visit our Facebook page, which you can just find by searching for Directors Club on Facebook. Yeah. Give us a give us a like. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, one thing that has been that came into fruition a long time ago that I've yet to mention on this show until this show is that we have a voicemail number. I don't think I've ever brought that up before. I think we brought it up. I don't think we have. Okay. I'm, never mind. I'm, I'll go back to the Starlito. <laughs> I'll go back to the Starlito sort of position of just encouraging you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, as you're going to hear for the first time on this episode, this is very special because we actually have voicemails uh, for this episode of uh, a, a few of our past guests reading off their top 10 lists of the year. We prefer them to be like a couple minutes long at the very most, but please do feel free to be, you know, unique and cool and funny by sending us a voicemail at 224-366-9528. Please do. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, anyway. We don't get enough emails. We don't get enough voicemails. Not lately. It's kind of died down. Yeah. I mean, as the listeners have gone up, the numbers have gone up, the voicemails have kind of gone There's down. There's something a little ominous about uh, about our, our listenership actually growing, but the emails sort of... Yeah. Maybe know. they're just so comfortable and they agree with us all the time. They're just like, yeah, we love you. You know it. <laughs> we don't have to send you some emails See, in arguing. my mind, it's like, uh, it's like a post-apocalyptic thing where we're in a mm. radio station and we're broadcasting, but we're not sure anyone's getting it. Mm. And it's like, if you're human and they're not contacting us, then it must be some kind of post-apocalyptic yeah, wouldn't that be horrible creatures. If our, wouldn't that be horrible if our hosting server was lying to us? <laughs> <laughs> like, we didn't have any listeners. Like, we're that all excited so... when we, we check our numbers. We're like, oh, yes, cool. And you it's know, totally a lie. Like, they're just trying to encourage oh us God, that, to I'm, keep I'm, us going and use their service. That would be the saddest thing. Yeah. That would be the saddest. You know what? We should probably get to the show proper. <laughs> I know, but that freaked me out just thinking of that. Yeah. Well, um, no, I, I was afraid that it was some kind of mutated, you know, from nuclear fallout. But I think that's a mm. scarier thought is that there's some robot in, on the Internet fucking with us. Yeah, that could happen. You think there might be like some kind of um, self-realized AI and <laughs> on the Internet and the only goal it's sort of developed for itself is to get uh, middling podcast hopes up? <laughs> oh yeah, totally. That's the meanest, like most evil computer genius. Thing Far more ever. evil than a non-blinking Haley Joel Osment. That's, right. That's yeah. Uh, and bought, another thing, I bought AI a long time ago, and I still haven't watched it. Hmm. It's all right. Yeah, I have issues with it, but it's all right. Uh-huh. I like it. Um, 
voting for March is pretty much done with, I think, because we've had that going on for a while. Yeah, we should have announced the winner a couple months ago. Yeah, and it's and it's been pretty much consistently the same. We've gotten about I don't know seventy votes, and it's looking like we're going to be talking about Catherine Bigelow come mm-hmm. March. So I'm very stoked for that. I love Near Dark. I had my fingers crossed for James Whale, but Catherine Bigelow is a great yeah. choice. Nobody voted for Bobcat, which is sad because yeah. uh, I mean he's got a new movie coming out at some point, so uh-huh. maybe in the future. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that for now. I think that's all the in-house stuff. I know I mentioned a, co- a few episodes ago that. December was going to be our Criterathon. Criteria. It's beginning to look a lot like Criterion uh-huh. was my uh, concept. But because December is pretty much cram month for all the year-end stuff, we just didn't really have a lot of time to dedicate to that. We spent most of our time watching screeners and stuff to mm-hmm. make sure that this that our list for this episode were as good was as legit. they possibly could be. Yeah. Because we don't want to quit. But I will say right now, uh, let's. I think this is a good sort of segue, if I do say so myself. <laughs> good work. Uh, there were some movies that we missed. There were. So uh, right now I want to sort of go into the movies that I did not see from 2011. Oh, what were those, Patrick? Uh, I didn't see A Dangerous Method. Shame on you. I didn't. Uh, I, uh, that's, everything I like about Cronenberg is not featured in A Dangerous Method. So You're probably right. So I, it wasn't a must-see for me. The Artist, which uh, I'm still eager to see. Um, I think you'll like it. Despite the kind of backlash that has come across it, I still think it. I still looks interesting to me. I'm hoping you're not too cynical. Cynical about that one. Oh, no. I'm I'm a little cyclical, <laughs> uh, which is which means I enjoy silent films because they're coming back. Uh, the skin I live in by uh, Almodovar, who is I love Almodovar. I just never got a chance. Actually, I started it and then I had to go somewhere, so never mm. finished the skin I live in. Moneyball, uh, Warrior. Excellent. Uh, War Horse, which is probably the least likely thing on this list that I would enjoy just for the fact that I fucking hate horses. Right. <laughs> I really <laughs> do. That's like I uh, uh, I, I recently You always got a, say goodbye to them. I always say goodbye to horses. Okay. Um, uh, I, I was really disappointed when I saw They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Because I thought it was a documentary <laughs> <laughs> about my favorite thing in yeah. the world. I shouldn't have recommended. I recently, Buck. I recently got Red Dead Redemption for Xbox. Oh God, those and, videos uh, you sent me were hilarious. Yeah, and I, I, I generally kill my horses and skin them. It's I don't like horses, so fuck war horse. But uh, Tin Tin, which I really did want to see, and I just never got to. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Nah, it's um, a, I fell asleep, <laughs> but I, I'm sure it's a good movie. Yeah, uh, Project Nim. I didn't see The Arbor, which is a fascinating sounding mm-hmm. documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, Weekend, which is uh, a surprise I didn't see because that's a gay movie. And no, like, no, like... no Bernies. No, 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 just Weekend. I, right. It's a gay movie, and I didn't see that gay movie. Uh, Win Win, which just kind of looked like middling, boring, like dramedy Shut crap. Up. Shut up. <laughs> uh, Bellflower, which I've heard wildly different opinions on. Um, yeah, that's that's Jim's opinion on it. Uh, spoiler: Bellflower not going to be on his top ten. Uh, Margaret, which uh, I've heard nothing but great things from the person uh, you can count the guy who directed. You can count on me. I can count on him to give can, us a great. By the way, script. You want to? You're interested maybe in seeing a movie that completely underappreciated, underrated, and underseen. You can count on me as amazing. 
It's one of my favorite movies. Yeah. I really. I, I, when I first saw it, I liked it, but now it's like after three viewings, I've grown to love that movie so yeah. much. So I'm really looking forward to Margaret, too. Uh-huh. I've heard nothing but good things about Margaret from the few people who've seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rango, I didn't see. I love. I actually really like Gore Verbinski. I just didn't get to see it. Uh, Margin Call. Uh, I didn't see The Descendants, though I did see, uh, uh, not that we're doing a What We Watch this week, this, but I saw Citizen Ruth. Mm-hmm. Um, that's on Netflix Instant People, and that is, I would say, the greatest American satire since Dr. Strangelove. That's a bold statement. It's it's fucking incredible. See Citizen Ruth, Alexander Payne. You want to see... I haven't seen it in like eight years, so I need to rewatch it. Yeah, I got it from you, actually, because you, you were getting rid of a bunch of your DVDs, and you accidentally put Citizen Ruth in there. Mm-hmm. Like a fool. I'll give it back to you. Yeah. That was a mistake. Um, uh, shame. Oh, God. Uh, House of Pleasures, which I didn't hear a lot about, but everything I heard – it's one of those movies that the few people who did see it loved it. House of a Thousand Pleasures? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's that's the uh, Necrophiliacs remake Ooh, of House of a Thousand Corpses. Sexy. Uh, tabloid uh, by our uh, alumni, Errol Morris. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I really like claiming that people that we've covered are alumni, like they have mm. any choice in the matter. Uh, Mission Impossible 4, which I've heard nothing but good things about. Did it's very good. That. It's very good. Senna, the uh, documentary about the race car. Again, man. fell asleep, but I'm sure it's great. <laughs> I will. No, I'm, I'm, I just I get tired. I just fell asleep. Yeah. I, I, it's not because I didn't like it. You're just a human being, and you yeah. at that point your needs involve falling asleep. Right. Uh, the Muppets, I didn't see. I don't have a big connection to the Muppets, uh, like a lot of people. So I didn't have a burning. I didn't want to see it, but I didn't have a burning desire, so I didn't go out. Uh, Into the Abyss, that mm-hmm. Werner Herzog mm-hmm. documentary about death penalty. Yeah. Um, Caves of Forgotten Dreams, that Werner Herzog documentary about uh, paintings of Buffalo. wish I would have seen that in 3D because I hear yeah. it's pretty stellar stuff. I've heard – but I've heard – oh, the 3D is great about a lot of movies and it's almost never true. Mm. So we'll see. <laughs> uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo I didn't see though not a lot of good – word have been coming out about that one uh, it's made some lists here and there really yeah i've not seen it on any top 10 lists i've seen it on a lot of people like shit lists <laughs> uh so that should be on your list the movie shit list yeah <laughs> shit list is a movie i wanted to see but that's not even that didn't get picked up that was oh, okay. a festival okay. only thing um incendies mm-hmm. what's that called Inc- yeah that's it incendies yeah okay. it's on my list too uh winnie the pooh <laughs> Winnie the Pooh feels like if you if you're sort of a backwards man child who's super sentimental, like Uh-oh. but you're even more backwards man child. Like there's muppets, Uh-oh. there's muppets, and there's Winnie the Pooh. I feel okay. I'm sure it's a great children's movie for children. Uh, and Mildred Pierce, which is not a movie but a miniseries, but I've seen mm-hmm. it on a couple lists. Yeah, what was that? That was just uh, buzzing. Oh, okay. I wouldn't worry about it. Hmm. I just heard something strange. That was a giant killer bee I keep in the closet. <laughs> well, you keep a lot of spiders yeah. so, in the bathroom. So uh, I know there's tension. Ooh, what's his top ten list going to be? Blah, blah, blah. None I do of have those some movies titles, are going to be on there. Yeah, I have now, a few Jim, titles. You, you saw a lot more than me. Yeah, because I get um, a little crazy at yeah. the end of the year. I get a little overzealous. And you, in general, you go to the theater But I'm passionate. Often. I love going yeah. to you know a good film. And if there's a lot of good word about something... And I think that this year, if there's one thing I've noticed, the availability of 
Netflix Instant, like like yeah. watching watching Uncle Boon Me on Netflix Instant was just like. I can't believe how easily there's a, accessible there's this was. There's a ton of uh, movies, uh, great movies, 2011. Yeah. Some of them are on my top ten list that uh, that are available on Netflix Instant. I'll be sure to point that out. And there's a few on here that I haven't seen that are on Netflix Instant that I plan to watch, uh-huh. including Poetry, which is, a, I believe, a Korean film that's gotten a lot of acclaim. I've seen that on a lot of lists. It was actually number one on uh, Michael Phillips' Chicago Tribune list. He's he's pretty good, pretty cool guy. I've met him. Uh-huh. Name dropping. Yeah, like that's a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) I saw The Devil, which a lot of people have either said it's from last year, but I've seen on a list from this year, and everybody says you got to fucking watch this movie. It's two and a half hours long. I mean, a lot of Korean movies are two and a half, but I'm, yeah, that's true. No, 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 no. no, no. I'm, I like the good and the bad and the weird quite a lot. So, um, I will say that's a good point though to make is that our list. Uh, of what came out in 2011 is kind of uh, yeah. arbitrary because there are some films that technically came out in 2010, but they didn't come to Chicago till 2011. And there are some films that technically came out in 2011, but they're not coming to Chicago till 2012. True. We'll uh, get to one of those, I'm sure. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll try to mention any movies that might arb- I may have arbitrarily just wanted to put on my list, even though I didn't have a strict... I don't really care enough about the list. Well, I do in a way, but I I will definitely say these are always open to revision big time. Because, like I said, there's a lot of movies I haven't seen, like Margaret, that could make the list that will change everything. Last year, I think it was around February or March, is when I saw my number one of last year. Yeah. uh, Which was another year. And other movies I haven't seen... You're right. 2010 was another year. Yes. Let's talk about 2000. Very, very funny, Patrick. That's I'm a gym fucking gym. hysterical. Okay, the other movies were Tintin, which uh, I I, I kind of want to see. I I think I'll like that more than I liked War Horse. Edgar Wright, Margaret, um, Margin Call, House of Pleasures, Senna, because I fell asleep, but I really want to watch it. Uh, Into the Abyss, Cave of Forgotten Dreams, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Incendies. Um, I want to say this is. Pina or Pina, which is Vim Vender's new documentary about dancing in 3D. That's that supposed to be spectacular. It's made some lists. Okay. So uh, I'm a huge Vim Vender's fan. So I'm, I'm excited for that. I'm sure it comes out this month. I, I haven't think. seen any Vim Vender's movies just because I have, I'm morally opposed to people pronouncing the letter W as the letter V. Oh, so. but he's German. No, doesn't count. Um, Werner Herzog, motherfucker. <laughs> Werner. It's Werner. Yeah. All right. Speaking of, Vinny the Pooh and, uh, <laughs> and Paul. That was actually pretty Paul. Oh, Don't God. forget Paul. That's Paul's th- been on a lot of lists. I know, man. It's been number one on so many lists. Yeah. I wanted to see it. I love the people involved. No, if, it's one of those movies where it's like, I love Abbott and Costello, but the one where mm. Abbott and Costello go to Mars isn't so great, you know? <laughs> Uh-oh, so I think we're going to have to just launch right into it. Basically, we're going to start with our top ten. Working uh, backwards, of course. Yeah, yeah. To build the tension. Right. We're going to go back and forth between each other. Yeah. And uh, yeah. then like once we hit the number five point, we're going to take a quick break to uh, hear what other people think. And yeah. uh, we'll Previous run guest. through our uh, runners-up a little bit later on. So... Uh, I think I want Patrick to go first. All I, right. I, I think I'm curious uh, enough to now, go with number 10 on your top 10 films. These are your favorite films yep. of 2011. Wow. You're making it or sound two, very Or two, Ocean's official. 11. You're making it sound very official, like I'm about to open an envelope and like I'm an award show. Yeah. Um, nice tux. 
right before I got here, I mean, right before we started recording, recording at my house, so I didn't get here. I was here. <laughs> right before we started recording, I ended up making a quick revision. So this was almost Ooh. didn't make the list. Ooh, what could it be? Number 10, Myth of the American Sleepover. Oh, wow. I really like that movie. That yes. should be higher on my list than it is. I really it's in my enjoy this up. movie. This is another film, unless it's been taken off recently. This is on Netflix Instant. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has kind of a dazed and confused format uh, about sort of one summer night. Uh, instead of the first night of summer, it's like one of the last nights of summer. Thank God it's not 500 days of yeah, summer. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> I couldn't take that. Um, but it, it what it does sort of startlingly well is capture that exciting moment. The other thing about uh, – I mean I'd say Days Confused is sort of mostly about people who are in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and this is mostly about people who are about to start high school, like eighth graders going into freshmen. And it's such a fucking – I'm fascinated by this time period in people's lives. And I actually after I saw this movie, I started asking all my friends that I knew from then. Like what they remember from it, because I'm just sort of fascinated by this that transitionary of, period. Yeah, that is really very weird awkward. in between area where everything's exciting and everything is awkward, and you're like, oh, we're doing dating now, like actual <laughs> dating, not like you know, middle school. You're my boyfriend for two mm-hmm. weeks dating. Like, there's actual dating and there's sex stuff now, and I yeah. don't like. Like there, it's so fascinating, and you haven't fully that, formed your identity at that point. No, so you're just sort of like trying on different, you know, uh, uh, you know, groups of people that uh-huh. you think you're gonna click with or not, you know. And uh, like I remember, there there was actually a period of time where I myself was hanging out with all sorts of different people, and honestly, that didn't matter, you know. Like Patrick and I've had this conversation before about yeah. clicks and stuff, and that I like that this movie doesn't go there at no. all it's it's very it everybody I mean, it's very naturalistic most of the actors are kids who have either this is their first movie or they've done very little before this the best i'd say the best actress in it um and one of my favorite performances of the year is claire sloma mm-hmm. um i can't remember her character's name but she's the first character you see um yeah now uh, one of my criticisms with the movie i would say is that not everybody is as strong as she is. Well, no, no, no. I mean, there's uh, that's just going to be a fact with any kind of ensemble movie like this, uh, where there's so many characters that certain stories will interest you more than others. But mm-hmm. I mean, in talking about days confused with people, I've noticed that you know different characters interest different people, and that's sort of what is nice about these kind of movies. So that's fine. My problem with the movie is it's kind of humorless, and the 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 tone of the whole thing is kind of very sleepy and. Uh, which is uh, like which a I, sleepover, right? 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 Well, it, yeah, it's it's just kind of slow paced and kind of. But, uh, but some of those nights eventful. are pretty slow and uneventful that you have in the in that time period. You no, know? I understand, but I I just feel that one of the things that a lot of movies, uh, and I think this is sort of a thing, maybe a non actor thing, because I, I especially noticed this about like stuff like Bubble. And George Washington, which we watched earlier this year, you know, by David Gordon Green, and you know, I think Killer of Sheep thematically needed to be humorless. But like, there's a thing where when you're dealing with non-actors, you're afraid to make them make jokes. <laughs> uh, like, but I feel like there's such a big there's such a big gap in between some like a character like Juno and a lot <laughs> of the characters in this movie who are 
it just feels like too serious and doesn't really accurately reflect in that way. Um, yeah, I think I rarely smiled as I was watching this. I remember absorbing right, pretty but but when I was much. a kid, when I was that age, like all I did, all me and my friends did, were trying to make each other laugh. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's and again, that's not what the movie's going for. But I do feel like it is a little excessively slow and humorless. But I love it because it really does capture that excitement where things can be totally great and totally fucked like from second to second and you are at a party where there's alcohol for the first time and you're like drinking for the first time. You're like, well, what am I doing? What am I doing? What is this? Like, should I drink? Like, but in not any kind of moralistic way, I don't think it, it, it doesn't really judge characters in any kind of moralistic way. Mm-hmm. I think Claire, one of the reasons Claire Sloma is my favorite character in it. Um, is she's able to be simultaneously naturalistic and really vibrant and alive. And so I love – I really do like this movie a lot. Um, I do too. I can't recommend it enough, especially if you're kind of interested in that awkward time. I remember uh, earlier when – earlier this year, I should say, not earlier, when we talked – when I talked about last summer. I'd say it's sort of last summer but more impressionistic. You know? Oh, cool. Yeah. I haven't watched last summer, but I will. Yeah, so it's that sort of thing that I'm just fascinated by. And I think everyone involved does a good job. And I think all of the stories really complement each other well. Even if, you know, I'm more interested in more one than the other. There's not a single part where when it flashed to this character, I was like, uh, we're, yeah. we're doing this again. No, I would agree with that. I'd, it'd be in my top 25 for me. Yeah. I really liked it a lot. Um, number 10 on my list. Speaking of... Does you know a filmmaker not judging their characters in any sort of moralistic way? Um, I've, I'm I'm becoming more and more impressed with. Uh, I mean, he's only done two films, but I watched them both within the same year, and that's Steve McQueen. Oh, yeah. And uh, I really liked Hunger quite a bit. Shame hit me even harder on a more um, emotional level, and it definitely like it devastated me more. Um, Upon reflection, just in, in terms of like how these characters are so incredibly caught up in themselves to where they barely acknowledge the outside world anymore. And I think everybody can relate to that, maybe not in that extreme way like they have in this movie, but. Which is about sex addiction. It is about sex addiction. Um, but I think you can honestly replace that his addiction with any addiction uh-huh. if you wanted to if you wanted to sort of insert your own um addiction basically just anything that you've done to avoid contact with other people at least intimacy because he makes contact with other right. people obviously but nothing like when he starts feeling any sort of closeness real genuine closeness with people he pushes them away he pushes his own sister away this is michael fassbender by the way who gives an amazing performance, but it's very subdued. Uh, I almost feel like that's uh, like uh, you're you're saying something twice because you said Mac- Michael Fassbender. So the <laughs> idea that he gives a great performance is like sort of in the name. Didn't he just give a great <laughs> performance in everything this year? I'm like, pretty sure, like X Men, he was great. X Men, but he was great in X Men. Yeah, uh, Jane Eyre, he yeah. was great in. Yeah, definitely. And a dangerous method, which is uh, in my list as well. Later, I mean, not not in the top ten. Sorry. People love Michael Fassbender. I 
love Michael Fassbender, and obviously everybody at this point should know how much I love Carrie Mulligan, but she gives a completely different performance in this than uh-huh. she ever has before. She's not so, v- is she not so good? Because I didn't see this movie. She's not so like nice and no. sort of clean no. cut. And- uh-uh. Uh-huh. She's selfish and nice. dirty and nice. It's she's <laughs> naked. Uh, <laughs> nice. No, um, there is just you won't feel nice watching this movie. You um, a movie called Shame. I won't feel mm-hmm. nice. No, watching? no, 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 no. You're, you're kidding me. This is this is the one movie I think in my top ten that I'm not excited about revisiting anytime soon. Although oh, yeah. I know I will because I think the year that Requiem for a Dream came out that was number ten on my list. Um, because I really, I can get behind most movies about addiction. I know a lot of people have issues with this movie because it is really slow. It's really uh, like cold and clinical. There's, it's so gray. Um, there's a lot of long takes, which you know he did in Hunger too. But here, it's it's really all about just two people who have no idea how to connect in any meaningful way and when they try they fail so they resort back to the things that they've relied on for so long and the relationship between these two characters is one of my favorites of the year and if you feel indifferent i don't blame you if because it's one of those movies that it'll either hit you or it won't it really hit me hard Shame, number 10. I really like Hunger. I'm going to try to check out Shame, but there is something telling me that I'm not going to be big on Shame. Mm. I'm not a big fan of cold clinical movies in general. Yeah, it is. I think Hunger... There's not a lot of humanity in Hunger almost feels like a Cronenberg movie in that it is also cold, but it's so fucking obsessed with the human body and the sort of destruction of which that... I could see that. There's something for me to lock into and be fascinated by. I'm not... So I'll, I'll try to watch Shame. Uh... Yeah, yeah, my number nine is. Uh, by the way, uh, wonderful. Have a match. Yeah, um, <laughs> one of the. Uh, I wouldn't say interesting, but uh, okay, we won't. My uh, my list uh, has my list has only one movie from a major studio this year. Oh, and uh, four of the films, I believe. Hold on, real quick. Let me check. And then and uh, oh no, it was four, but then the lifts got shipped around. Anyway, most of the films are f- uh, from America. A couple of foreign films as well. This one's a foreign film. 13 Assassins. Oh, yeah. Again, in my top 20. Uh, it's it's almost kind of weird. Like, the same way that, you know, people criticized uh, stuff like A History of Violence and, um, shit, what was the one right after History of Violence? Eastern, Eastern Promises. Eastern Promises, yeah. Where it's like, this is a Cronenberg movie, but it's not it's not the weirdness that we like. This is a Takashi Miike movie, and I think Takashi Miike is sort of a naturally gifted filmmaker. Hmm. Um, but he, what makes his movies so fascinating is just that he's a fucking weirdo, and will just throw anything at the wall and see what sticks. Um, Thirteen Assassins is not that. That's it's probably very true. It's probably the most accessible. Uh, sort of mainstream Takashi Miike. The one scene, uh, and this isn't a spoiler or anything, but the one scene involving a limbless woman, naked woman, like writhing on the ground, like I'd say that would be the one moment where you're like, oh, this is a Takashi Miike movie. Because <laughs> anyone else would show just a woman with a big scar on her face or something deformed for the purposes of the narrative. That's all you need. Because she, her, her whole self like in the movie is just to sort of be a demonstration of this one emperor's cruelty. Right. Um, 
but uh, instead she's fucking limbless. <laughs> and the, that's the one camera, of the more disturbing images. Yeah, and the I've camera seen. just lingers on her writhing around on the ground. Yeah, it's basically Seven Samurai. Uh, I, there's a little bit of like espionage, um, taking down the government sort of stuff that isn't in Seven Samurai. Because in that they're just facing a bunch of bandits, but. The structure in which they gather the samurais together it takes a while to get there. I mean, um, I think it's an half effective. The movie. It's a yeah, it's an effective buildup for it's sure. An effective it's not up. boring. No, it's definitely not boring. Uh, I will say, unlike Seven Samurai, uh, not every samurai has a really well-defined personality, mm-hmm. uh, which is which I'd say. I mean, most films suffer when you compare them to Seven Samurai, but this is a movie that you can't help but compare to it because the story is so similar. But what makes the movie so amazing is the second half of the movie, which is pretty much just a hour long, maybe a little shorter, maybe like 45 minute long action sequence in which... Yes, phenomenal. Um, and what's great is there's a bunch of traps set. There's a bunch of... Uh, there, you know, there's a bunch of crazy shit in it that you are like that sort of sus- you have to suspend your disbelief, and you you do because you you know it's a Takashi Miike movie. Uh, but it is the best shot, most clear and exciting action of any movie I saw this year. Um, Definitely, it's it's so thrilling and it's exciting to watch, and it keeps going, and it's just it's. It's like just a forty-five minute orgasm, <laughs> and it's it's yeah, a good way to put it. It's exciting, and I mean, I don't know. There's not a lot I can really say other than it's just so exciting to watch and so great. Um, and it's manages to make thirteen assassins versus you know a big army uh, like Seven Samurai. It makes you believe that they can win. Hmm. Um, just. By sheer force, and I, I believe they can win. Exactly, and it's kind of a cynical movie because it's about the end of the samurai, and at the end, the you know, there's only a limited number of the samurai who actually lived, and they're right. all sort of like, well, "What are you going to do now?" One's just like, "I guess I'll be a bandit." <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I, I feel, and it's one of those movies I guess I'll just too. Kill where, people for money because I mean, I I did see Mission Impossible, which is uh-huh. great, especially in IMAX. But you know what's crazy is you know. Like the emotion I felt when certain samurais were dying. Well, that's why I was the, like, "Oh, well, that's, that's so why sad. the hour buildup is so yeah, good." Is exactly. because you're invested in the characters, even if not all of them have as well defined personalities as I would like. Like you're really invested in the characters, mm-hmm. and the way all the characters fight makes sense. It's not just an act. It, you couldn't just watch the action sequence and get everything you could get out of it yeah. because, and there's a lot of you know fun nuances. Like Seven Samurai, um, oh god, me my Foon, me Foon, the uh, what's it, Toshiro? <laughs> Is it Toshiro? What's hold on? I everyone knows the name, but Mugao Pan. Uh, I'm sorry. Mushu Toshiro. Oh, okay, okay, it is yeah. Toshiro. You laughed like that wasn't right. Oh, okay. Toshiro, my Foon or me Foon? I don't sorry. know. Just the way you were saying it was making me laugh. But there is a character like that where this just like one guy who sort right. of yeah, the yeah, rest yeah. of the bandits or I mean the rest of the samurai sort of reluctantly allowed to keep on. Mm-hmm. And um, and he's funny. Like he's gen- gen- genuinely funny and fun to watch. 
um, especially during the action sequences because there's great little moments where he's like in over his head. I think it's funny that like these days in order to get a really good, exciting action sequence, you have to go to like an art house movie or a foreign film because all the action sequences in America for the most part – like Attack the Block I'd say is a movie that is like – I remember when John Woo came into the scene with the killer and everybody's like, I'm just going to go watch his type of action movies, right. you know? And then then the killer was sort of assimilated, especially right. once they brought John Woo to Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and then – and now it's just fucking kinetic bullshit mm-hmm. brought in by the Bourne movies, I suppose. Like Wanted and all that. Oh, God. And no, it's just like it's useless to watch because yeah. you're not – and now you go to movies like Attack the Block or 13 Assassins or even the very few moments of Drive that are <laughs> – Yeah. And you're like, oh, shit. And Brad Bird, uh, you know, I can't Okay, yeah. I, I didn't see Mission Impossible 4, but that would be an example of a – He's the real deal. I was excited I think, that he got know. the job because I, I remember watching Incredibles for the first time and thinking, I wish more action sequences looked like this. Like yeah. this is really exciting and fun and – clear i'm pretty sure that the sequence in i want to say it's dubai but i can't remember but you'll see it yeah you should try and see it in the theater so 13 assassins good uh, choice i saw it i got to see it on the big screen which helps a lot obviously but oh yeah i think i it was on netflix instant i think it still is mm-hmm. so uh go ahead check that one out as well number nine it's not a movie like i can talk for like five minutes about because either you laugh or you don't and there's plenty of people out there who don't think bridesmaids is funny. Oh, Bridesmaids is great. It is. It is absolutely the funniest movie of the year, and I want to give full credit to uh, Kristen Wiig for writing an incredible screenplay. In this, not necessarily in the same laugh out loud way that Tina Fey did with Mean Girls, but I mean, Mean Girls didn't make my top ten the year it came out. But I was, I was kind of championing Tina Fey's efforts at the time, and with Bridesmaids, um, I don't know. I, I laughed more consistently at this movie. Uh, the only m- complaint I have is most Judd Apatow produced efforts are too long. It's a too it's yeah, too long, absolutely. Um, and you can feel that in certain some instances. The, se- the second act of Bridesmaids doesn't happen until the fir- until an hour in, right? <laughs> but at the same time, it was a pure joy for me to watch this movie and. Uh, Melissa McCarthy, she should be nominated for – in the same way that Kevin Klein was nominated for Fish Called Wanda, she should be nominated for uh, Best Supporting. I think she's a, a I don't gem. Think I wouldn't say I it's – I love her in this I movie. I love her in this movie. I wouldn't say it's Kevin Klein and Fish Called Wanda level. Okay, okay. But yeah, I yeah, love no, her in this movie. I just, um, I just want the Academy to recognize comedy more Yeah. because it's harder to make – especially me. Like I laugh and I'm kind of pickier about what I laugh at and it's easier to make me cry and I've always said that – Comedy is, you know, the most subjective thing in the world. And if people mm-hmm. say, you know what, Bridesmaids just didn't work for me. I thought it was overrated. I'm like, okay. But I thought it was fucking hilarious. I th- Especially I think it was, the scene I think it was on Yoda uh, that once said that uh, <laughs> dying is easy, comedy is yeah. hard. That's probably true. It was either Yoda but he would or say Mel Brooks. It differently. He would say, Come on, comedy, easy. I think it was actually Mel Brooks. Oh, okay. Who played Yogurt. Very good. Very yeah. good. I hate Spaceballs. Oh, that's a terrible movie. Good. I'm glad we agree on that. Um, Bridesmaids is uh, the funniest film of the year, yeah. and uh, man, the, the the sequence on the airplane might be the hardest I laughed, I think, maybe oh, all year, God. maybe? Especially, there's a woman on the wing of the plane, she's <laughs> churning butter, there's something they're not <laughs> telling us. I love, oh uh, my, no, Kristen Wiig has this fucking bizarre uh, sort of, I don't know if it's a superpower or a, if it's like her weakness, mm-hmm. but uh, 
basically every movie she's in, she's hysterical, and every SNL sketch she's in, she's just fucking horrible. Yeah, I would agree with that. But most of, it's it's mostly because of the writing, yeah. and I hope she gets more work. I I know she will. She this movie made a shit ton of money, uh-huh. so good for her. Good for Melissa McCarthy for her breakout role and uh-huh. a great year for her. And um, I'm I'm really thrilled for uh, like this to me is what The Hangover should have been. I just did not find The Hangover funny. This I found to be consistently funny pretty much the whole way through. Uh-huh. And it made me uh, very appreciative of women doing vulgar things. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, don't know how, I don't know how other way to put it. but I don't know. Um, I, 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 I got kind of annoyed at that sort of angle that people I know. took. Like, oh, people are like, oh, this is the female version of The Hangover. No, that's it's not, not it. female. Because it's just well, funny. It's not yeah. female. It's funny. Right. It's no. not a romantic comedy. It's not a chick flick. It's I agree. Like, it just as a main character as a woman. I always thought women were funny. I think Amy Poehler is funnier than most people ever. Like, yeah. you know? <laughs> Gilda, Gilda Radner. Funny. Yeah. So, and Bridesmaids, it made my top ten because I appreciate when a movie can make me laugh just as much as it can make me cry or think or feel. Right. So, props to that. Uh-huh. My uh, number eight is Certified Copy. Ooh. We might be hearing about that one. A little bit later. Oh, really? Maybe. Oh, that's so so intriguing. I wonder what he meant by that. Um, Certified Copy is a movie by an Iranian film director, uh, Abbas Kirostami, which I'm not pronouncing right. Good work. I have it written down here. Um, He, and it's, it's a very strange movie. It is a movie basically about a first date. Um, There is a woman who owns an antique store in Italy. And uh, she uh, is somehow put in contact with a a man who wrote a book about how forgeries and duplications of famous artworks are just as valid um, as the originals. And they're on a first date in Italy. And then somewhere in the first half of the movie, something very strange happens. Yeah. Where uh, they're at a diner and he goes out to take a phone call and the woman at the diner – assumes that that's her husband and she doesn't correct her she instead invents a history for them as if they were married and they sort of go along with and they go along with it but at some point it feels like they're not play acting and they actually are married Um, and the film goes back and forth between them between them as characters pretending to be married and them as characters like going to places where they could only actually be married to actually go there they would stop pretending Um, and it it's a movie I don't hundred percent understand. I only got to see it once, and I think it's a movie that would definitely uh, get better with a repeat viewing. Especially the idea of what he's interested in of a copy versus the original. I'm not exactly sure how thematically that ties in with the rest of the film. I mean, I would agree. Other than the most base level of if they are married or aren't married, is you know what's authentic and what what isn't real. I don't think we're meant to know that. So I, I but. What it is is pretty much an acting exercise for people to reenact different parts of a relationship in a single in a single day, and the acting is incredible. Yeah, um, it's really good. Uh, Juliette Binoche. Juliette Binoche is amazing, and I wish she's ravishing. She's. I'm not. I'm. I'm not so attracted to her, but she's definitely really, really. Are your eyes working? Okay, let's make sure. Mm. Okay. All right. 
It's all good. I never had a thing. You guys, my... you guys see the Kislowski movie. I never had a thing for my piano teacher. So oh, okay. All right, all right. I, I did. Um, <laughs> no, but they're just amazing. And it, so, what it is basically is an ex- a very playful way to have an excuse to have these very intense, dramatic scenes in which you see how people really communicate with each other, who are very intimate and. It's I don't, like it's hard to describe because I'm going to I mean, I'm just going to be completely honest. I don't 100 percent understand it. You know what I mean? Which is which I'm fine with. Me, too. Uh, it's a complex movie. But what I found just so fascinating with it, beyond being a very beautiful movie and having a lot of interesting ways to separate the characters in the frame. Um, there's a lot of specific instances in which uh, half the screen will be a hallway and one of the characters will be far down the hallway and the other character will be at the end of the hallway on the other side of the screen. And it's like, you know, it's a beyond being just beautiful, the performances and the chemistry they have and the sort of way that you see the nuts and bolts of a relationship reenacted. Uh, and of course, just the very unusual context for all this makes it so fucking great. And yeah, it, this is, again, I think this is three for three for me. It's on Netflix instant. Uh, Definitely check it out. I, I promise you that there will be parts of it that you will like. I can't promise that the whole thing will gel for you. I definitely don't get the ending. Uh, yeah, I, I'm still pondering that myself. Yeah, I'll watch it again. It's definitely a movie that I'll revisit. But uh, it's, it's, it's a movie I wonder if it'll go down in time or go up in my mind. I wonder about It can that. only go up for me. Because I'm thinking that's the case. But it's also something where... There have been people who have sort of said it's just an exercise. There's nothing profound or but intellectually it, but it's stimulating. The most watchable exercise ever, and also it's great to watch these characters. I mean, a lot of what they go through in the first date is having these philosophical kind of discussions. And gee, I don't like that at all. Right? Hmm. Well, no, <laughs> no, I love that, and it, it is the same sort of approach. Uh, as in something like Waking Life, where it doesn't feel pretentious. It doesn't feel like. At no point does it feel like the filmmaker is trying to tell you what he thinks about these discussions they're having. Instead, the way the characters relate to these philosophical discussions tells you about the characters. And I think that is such a huge, important difference. You can have a, you know, you can have a, you know, you can have a movie in which people talk about philosophy and stuff. But if if the only reason they're doing it is so you can have a cheap, easy way to tell the audience what the themes of the movie is going to be. I hate that. Yeah, that's one thing. But if if you're actually exploring the characters uh, and the way, you know, and and the way they feel about certain things tells you who they are, that's a completely different thing. And that's and that's much better. And I like definitely prefer that amen brother love certified copy that's my number eight number eight is kind of a surprise because maybe for a lot of people it wouldn't be this high up on a top 20 or whatever but i don't know i bought seen, a zoo i <laughs> shut up i've seen this three times i'm gonna you know what i'll just let's see if you can figure out what it is okay you've seen it three times it's a movie that most people wouldn't watch no, I'm sorry. One of the villains that whistles this more. all for like an, the entire time. Like the entire time he's on screen, he's just. No, I don't know what you're talking about. It is probably my favorite. I don't even know. I guess it's an action movie. Uh-huh. But 
oh my god, did this director completely take me aback. As much as I liked uh, Moments of Atonement and as much as I liked Pride and Prejudice, oh shit. I fucking loved Hannah. Oh shit, Hannah's I great. really did. More yeah. like the more I watched it, especially once I got on the old Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's one of the most rewatchable movies for me. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's beautifully directed. So conf- This guy is so confident behind the camera, and the way he shoots the escape sequence is fucking phenomenal. But even just the I, interaction. I actually, that was the part I didn't like, mostly because it reminded, flashy, me, but, it reminded me too much of Run, Lola, Run, and I uh, hate that yeah, movie. Yeah, but, you know. I, think I was afraid I, that the movie I, was going to become Run Lola Run, but I'm more I'm more forgiving of that stuff. Like the David Fincher, let me show you what I can do, you know, cinematically for a minute or two. I just but, I don't find it. I mean, I I don't mind you blowing my mind, but it didn't blow my mind. It just is like I oh, it, he's he's it's spun cool. his camera around. Like, it's just that's, cool. <laughs> there's a, it's um, every now and then I sort of put the intellectual side away and just go. Yeah. That was fucking cool. And this, I, it, it, I don't think it helped. I'm one of the few people who did not like the score by Chemical Brothers. Oh, I did, I did, I liked it a lot. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, 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 you know, I'm forgiving. I, maybe it's like some of those my, things. That part, has a, if it has a pulse, yeah, the I'm part, behind it. The part for me that fucking blew my mind was not when she escapes. And again, this is we talked about this when it came out, but um, we still can't ruin it. You know, I've been careful not to spoil do any spoilers for any of my movies, but uh. Not the part after she escapes, which happens in the first ten minutes. People, I'm not ruining anything, but and you don't know what she's escaping from. Uh, but it is the part immediately after that just blew my mind. In which the movie takes a very different direction than yes. you think and explores the character in a way that you would never expect it to. And that's why I don't think I could call this an action movie. No, you can totally call it an action movie. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you don't have a fight scene like Eric Bana's fight scene in the subway station. Without yeah, it being an action that's true. Movie. That's true. You don't you don't fucking see any Robert Altman movies where that happens. You know, it just feels like a completely different kind of action movie. Maybe it's because of that detour that I love. I really love it once she meets up with that uh, that girl and the family. Absolutely. I mean, I like the action. I think it's very clean and it's very yeah, and it's well shot and it's exciting. But I really like that just sort of digression where. Suddenly, this character is put in a different context. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, it, and she's thrown into a different context later in the, the movie. It's the very best movie I've ever seen about homeschooling, <laughs> <laughs> which is what I think the movie is ultimately about. Yeah, very true. And I don't know, that's the, that score, especially that that villain who like came from a strip club or whatever yeah. that goes after her, that like hitman guy, that yeah. blonde weird dude, fucking creeps me out. I had nightmares about that guy whistling that theme really? song. I did! I thought it was fucking creepy. I thought Kate Blanchett's amazing. Oh in it. God, yes! And it's so it's a weird performance because I just wasn't expecting that from her. I think I'd expect that from Tilda Swinton, uh-huh. but um, Kate Blanchett was great. I, get, I, get I love con- this. I'm going to be honest. I get the two confused a lot. I know, but I love this movie. I really, really did. I mean, again, I, I'm questioning whether it should be number eight on my list or not because there are definitely movies that are like I might, you know. My runners up that I think probably should be higher, but I think and this is one of those movies that just in terms of the, how much I would rewatch it and have fun every time, and I'm I'm growing to like the uh, sheer Sharonin girl. She's really uh, I what mean else I lo- is she in she was in Atonement and like okay. the Lovely Bones and stuff. Um, I've liked her and she was nominated I think for Atonement, but I I think she's coming into her. I think she's going to be a, a an actress to watch in the future. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So it's a, it's a great action 
comedy it really thriller. Is. Uh, it's it's it is, um, and I've seen it compared to uh, fuck. What's the name of the director who did uh, Leon and Fidel Oh Man. yeah, yeah. I, I'm not a big Luke Besson guy. I've seen no, but I, I like think, I like Fifth Element. It's fun. I like really like Fifth Element. A lot of people really like I, it. I, I like it fine. It's I like great. Leon as well, and but like. It is a very similar kind of movie, but I think it kind of is better. I think there's still some movies. substance behind the style in this movie. I really do. Yeah. So. Um, I think it's mostly style. I would agree. Uh, and I think that, you know, but I, I really like this movie a lot. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think, was like the first great movie of 2011. Yeah. We, like that was the, I, for a while. It may not have been on my top 10 had I rewatched it and just had a blast all over yeah. again. I I think the whole way through I think the guy at the strip club by the way is the one who most reminds me of Luke Besson. Like yeah. Luke Besson yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can see that. Uh but um that seems like not only not only does that seem like a Luke Besson, it seems like a very French kind of character mm-hmm. that it's like, "Oh yeah, he's doing a cabaret, but he's also a hired murderer." It's a quality <laughs> genre flick. Yeah, it really is and it's nice, it's weird enough mm-hmm. and it's exciting enough and it's not smart. But that's fine. It's a big step up from the fucking soloist. Oh, yeah. Way to go, Joe Wright. I'm so glad that you bounced back. Let's see what you do next. <laughs> like Mr. Cal. Fucking A. What's your number seven? My number seven is probably higher up on your list. Or it might be your number seven, uh, Drive. It's so close. Yeah. Drive, everyone's talked about. Because it came out, it caused its sensation. And it's and a I'm, new sensation. I, I don't know anyone listening to this movie who hasn't seen Drive, so I don't know what to. I mean, <laughs> I don't have. I mean, I don't have any new insight. You know, that's I, probably true. I feel I. I love how the whole feeling of the movie is just like in slow motion, almost. Like it feels like everything is stuck in molasses. Even the way the characters think seems to happen. Slowly. Yeah, I think I do. I do think that the character is touched. Uh, uh, Ryan Gosling's character is touched a little, which I think is a great sort of choice that he made that mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. made that movie great. And I mean, all the supporting characters are great. Uh, we've talked about Drive before. All the problems I have with Carrie Mulligan, I still have. Um, with I just don't buy her as being a single mother who married an in- con like an inmate. Uh, yeah, I can she's see too that. sweet. I know. Like her sweet her sweetness is necessary for Ryan Gosling's character, well, but it betrays everything about the rest of her character. I heard and I completely understand why Nicholas Weinreffen had this experience, but I think he was originally going to cast a Latina uh-huh. character for right. that and that seems to make sense, but then he met Carrie Mulligan, he's like, "Oh, I'm going to put you in my movie because you're so damn charming." <laughs> and that's really? it. Yeah, that's well. I think he said, "You remind me of my wife." I think you should be in this movie. Um, and I'm like, oh, "That's what so I think sweet." Is kind of fascinating about this movie is when it came out, everyone had a different opinion about it. Yeah, I saw. You know, Devin Faraci, who's one of my favorite online film critics, he talked about how cool it was, which mm-hmm. I think it is not cool at all. I think anyone who interprets Ryan Gosling's character as being cool, I think the opening credits are really cool. No, no, I, I don't mean it's cool. The in music a, and the I way mean, he looks, I the mean freeze cool frame. Cool in the actual well, sort the of sense frame. of the word in which hip. Yeah, like okay. I think, I think this is punch drunk love meets the driver. I think, I think everything about uh, his Ryan Gosling's character is a psychopath, like a weird sociopath, and not. Someone who is just like really 
Like, especially you compare it to The Driver, you know, by yeah. uh, Walter Hill. And it's – that character is someone who is very calm and reserved and stuff. This person just seems like a psychotic. Uh, and I, I really do think Ryan Gosling's character is just sort of a psychotic man-child like Adam Sandler in Punch Drunk Love. Um, yeah, they're – they don't know how to function normally in society right. and they respond in very extreme ways, either too reserved or too explosive. Um, I, I respond to the too reserved uh, characteristics of those characters quite a bit. Um, but I don't know. There, there's definitely something about this movie. A lot of Nicholas Winding Refn's movies, I think, are about the like a deconstruction of masculinity and how yeah. – yeah, I, 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 I mean, I've only sense. seen Bronson. I haven't seen Bleeder is especially obvious. In I'm those looking. Themes. I'm looking at my DVD of Pusher right now, but again, I I haven't watched it yet. Bleeder is. I know we're going to talk about some of our favorite movies that we saw for the first time later in the show, but Bleeder is up there, and uh, I'm I'm I've with the exception of uh, Fear X, which is the only Nicholas Winding Refn movie I think is boring and mind numbing and uh-huh. not interesting. Um, I I'm growing to really like this guy. Yeah, a lot more. Over well, I time. love I love Bronson, and I love yeah. how this has very similar obsession with textures mm-hmm. and bodies and skin and like, skin. There's, yeah, there's a there's like kind of an absurd uh like detail and close ups of people and like leather and of you know leather. Of, yeah, like his gloves. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And, no, just just general textures. It's sort of attention to with. detail for sure, right? And, but not attention to detail in the way that looking at all of the details of what it takes to be a getaway driver. Attention to details in like textile kind mm-hmm. of feelings, which are which I think are kind of rare in movies. But I'm always fascinated by. It's a great movie. Everyone's seen Drive. Everyone knows about Drive. I'm not telling anyone. Yeah, that's different. the thing. I, We'll be talking about it again soon. Um, it's probably one of the most talked about movies. I know, of the year. I know. I've heard so much about it on other podcasts that yeah. at this point, I feel like it's exhausting me. Right? <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to be too redundant. I know. Um, this is a movie for. We're at number seven, correct? Yes. This is a movie that I don't think very many podcasts have talked about because it hasn't opened everywhere, and uh, you know. I've I've seen I've seen it on so many critics' top ten lists. It was number one on Ebert's list, and I couldn't help but you know actively try and track it down. And I was very excited for it, and it pretty much lived up to my expectations. And I'm hoping it's higher up on your list. And that is um, a separation. Absolutely, and, and it is the like the perfect drama. That plays out, bet- you know, amongst a very limited number of characters, with very devastating consequences. You know, with things that seem minor at the time that sort of just blow out of proportion because everybody has different perceptions about the same situation, and they just don't know how they don't know the proper way to react, or they they decide to cover up the truth because they're they're afraid of how they're going to look, or they're just kind of lost in themselves uh-huh. to where they don't try to think about the other person's feelings. And that that is very indicative of how the parents are towards their, their child. I mean, they, I think, I don't know if they're bad parents, but they're just making the wrong decisions and trying to 
uh, you know, come to terms with what the situation they're dealing with. Um, I love the way this starts out. I love the fact that we learn about a different culture. Iran? Is it? Uh, wait, wait. It's Iran. Yeah. I, Iranian. Um, we learn about how their court system is quite different from ours. Yeah. Which is really interesting to see. And overall, you know, it's just one of those perfectly, um, you know, every character you get to know in a way that's very intimate and they're fully realized. Everything that plays out feels real. Uh-huh. And the, I don't I didn't feel like this was a mani- manipulative movie in any way. That's that is what fascinates me. The machinations of the script. Yeah. Um, the amount of work that must have gone into. Uh, can you look up who wrote it real quick while I'm talking? Oh, yeah. The, of the cause and effect mm-hmm, and the complicated mm-hmm. ways that everything's affecting each other and the and the complicated way that you don't always know what the motivation of every character is and you don't always know who you you don't know who's lying and who's telling the truth until the end um you you very subtly begin to realize what cards people are actually holding but just the actual objectivity of truth is obliterated Mm mm-hmm it's so detailed and so complex, um, and it all stems from the fact that a divorce would not be granted because uh, in Iran, a woman has to have, like, a major yeah. issue to ever get divorced from her husband. Like, he goes – like, the judge who we never see in that – that particular judge we never see goes, he's not an addict. He doesn't beat you. You have that's not grounds for divorce, right? He goes. The, he he says this is not an important issue. Like not realizing <laughs> that those words send such an insane, uh, you know, has such an insane consequence, and just the fact that you can do all of that in a script and have something be so complicated and see and have so many characters almost making connection and then not yeah. being able to. Um, because they're too proud or whatever, and never once does it feel like proud for sure. It never feels like a morality play. It's extremely uh, realistic and it's extremely naturalistic. All and you empathize with them in different ways at different times, and then at other times you're like, God, why'd you say that or why'd you do that? The empathy it has for every character involved, despite the fact that they're all fucking each other over. Yeah, and, and you see why, and you see their selfish nature, and you see. Like, at any point in the movie, everything could have been fixed if mm-hmm. one person just would come clean. Yeah. That's all it took. But people are too afraid and they're too proud and they're too right. stuck with their religions or their cultures or their beliefs. And they're too worried about being ostracized because of – and in that, there's a really vivid and a powerful subtext about Iranian culture without mm-hmm. ever going to the point of – of having some evil Iranian government or having or having some kind of character and the fact that you can condemn something without ever having like even the judge in the movie seems extremely reasonable. <laughs> yeah. Like there's not a single person you don't empathize with. It's an astounding movie. It it's is really amazing. I know. I would I was riveted by this movie. I and really, really... It's riveted, but it's not a thriller. I know. It's not a crime like despite the fact I don't know if you're gonna go after watching, after hearing this, uh, listener, you're going to go and look at the trailer. The trailer tries to make it look like some kind of thriller. Right. Um, it is not. It is just drama with a capital D in which 
the interpersonal interactions yeah. oh this, within this movie are so perfectly acted and written. And uh, I, I again, I respond very much to the moment that a child realizes that their father is fallible and flawed and and sometimes you know lying to the child because they don't want to cr- uh, crush that ideal you know and i feel that's that's definitely in the tree of life too um here it's it's just a very well written well acted there's it's not flashy in any way no it's a very simple story that you sort of the slowly way it, get the involved way it's in. shot it's very like it's dramatic and it's and mm-hmm. it's intense it could be a, a play. Lot of, it could be a great play. Yeah, too. and you see a lot of. I mean, there's a lot of employed where people are separated by glass, or you know, they're separated by sure. something in a frame. But for the most part, it's just a very functional way it's shot because you don't want to get in the way of characters. And this is another. If there's one thing about this year that I would definitely say was uh, something pretty consistent for me: great endings. Oh yeah, and uh, something you know, endings. What that, was your interpretation a- of the en- ending? Endings that are sort of like a mystery, like right. You don't necessarily need closure, but you know, because it's a movie, you kind of expect it, you want it, but at the same time, I don't think it's necessary. Um, I don't know if it matters. Who? I don't want to give it away. I, it's like one of the. I don't know if I don't know if we what need I to like know. Is, and I mean, ambiguous endings. You can. There are people who they'll make a movie and they don't know how to end it, so they make a movie ambiguous because they just didn't know what the right ending would be. Right. I like ambiguous endings, and there's a movie that I'll be talking about later, and I know you'll be talking about later, that has a very purposefully ambiguous ending that intensifies the themes of the film. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. But yeah, everybody. This is needs another to see example this where this is. Uh, we're at, at the ending. You're empathizing with every character simultaneously, despite the fact that they're all in opposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the point of the film. And so, which is um, so profound and just so simply done. Um, and that it's able to achieve all this without, you know, without having a huge story with lots of twists and turns and lots of. Right, that's what I was worried about. That we were going, oh, that, oh, but there's not really anything like that. It plays out organically. No. It's extremely organic, extremely naturalistic, but at the same yeah. time, extremely complex. Not complex as in hard to follow, but complex as in the way it's. And that's, of course, the other advantage that the film has. It's so fascinating to me is it. It's complex. You're never once lost. You're mm-hmm. just it. He just finds a way. Uh, this what, guy ask Asgar Asgar Farhadi, Farhadi, which I'm, which I'm probably <laughs> Asgar Farhadi. Yeah, uh, probably mispronouncing. He's he's got some other movies under his belt. I'm curious about now after seeing Absolutely. this. So he's just made the way he's able to present characters uh, and the way he deals with characters is fascinating and so complex and so simple though and so even-handed. Yeah. That's what I liked about it. The simplicity. It's a fucking everybody. This comes out within the month of January. Hopefully, where you're at. Yeah, go see. I know our. I know our loyal listener slash friend Robert uh, Reneke. Mm -hmm. I believe. I don't. I. Renke. Renke. He. He sent us an email telling him how to pronounce his name. He's one of the very loyal emailers. Yes, Uh, thank you, Robert. One of my favorite listeners. I'm Facebook friends with him now. Uh, He. He recently saw it. I know, and he loved it. Great. 
which is good. Yeah, it's coming out soon. Check your local art house theater. Check your check local, your local <laughs> listings. Yeah, your any uh, you know any if you live near a major city, be sure to check out the theaters in that city. See who's getting it because I'm telling you, a separation's incredible. Yeah, my number six. What is, is it? Is Bridesmaids. Oh, good. We've talked about this. I just. Kristen Wiig's incredible. More importantly, Maya Rudolph is incredible. I fucking love Maya Rudolph. You know, yeah. She's sort of the unsung hero. You know what? Because everybody else has kind of a showier the part. Be- the best new show of, of 2011, not that this is what this episode's about, you know, this podcast is about, but... Homeland? No. <laughs> I, I didn't see Homeland, so maybe it's Homeland. But uh, Up All Night. Yeah, I need to catch up on that. I like the first couple episodes. Up All Night is great because... Uh, it's able to have characters, like, it's able to get a lot of mileage out of something that isn't characters who hate each other. And I feel right. like television nowadays, it's all people who hate each other. <laughs> and I think what... <laughs> like, it's always sunny. And yeah, it's up, always yeah. sunny, and The Office, and, you know, shows like that, it's all just tension out of conflict. But I think bigger conflicts come from people who love each other. In Mike's, in my, no, no, I'm saying in no, my that's experience, true. No, I agree with the that. more you love someone, the less able you are to just fucking walk away. Like, I don't know why so many people in the office are so tense with each other that they don't just go, I'm not talking to you anymore. Like, forget it. You know, but when you love yeah. someone, everything they do that fucking annoys, I mean, I'm, I'm talking <laughs> experience now about my girlfriend, but everything that fucking annoys them, well, you're stuck with it because you love them. You know, everything that annoys me about you, Jim. That's, that's unconditional. Yeah. I'm stuck with you, Jim. I love you. Right. But you do things that annoy the shit out of me, just like I'm sure I do. Th- oh, oh, God, yeah. yes. <laughs> Up All Night's great. The longer I you got, know somebody. Yeah. I got way off track. Up All Night's great, which is a way of saying Maya Rudolph is great because she's on that and she plays And in she's Oprah. in Bridesmaids, which is great. Yeah. Way off track, but that's fine. No, that's I fine. don't have anything extra to say about Bridesmaids. I already talked about Bridesmaids. Um Though one thing I observed when I saw it, I like I... the guy from the uh, IT crowd a lot. By the way, I didn't mention. Oh him. yeah, that's right. He's Kristen Wig. Yeah, he's Kristen Wig's real life husband. I didn't know that. I did not know that either. Yeah, he's wonderful. He is the the guy who played the federal uh, air marshal. He is Melissa McCarthy's real life husband. Oh wow, yep. I didn't know that. And the woman on the airplane who is very nervous about the flying, who sits next to Kristen Wig and goes, "I dreamed that we were crashing. You were on it." She is the co writer of the oh. movie. Cool. No, the guy. Uh, I, you know, I was I was madly in love. You because the other thing about romantic comedies, not I don't think this is really a romantic comedy. I think it's mostly uh, like a character driven comedy. Yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the relationship is in there, but that's not the main thrust of the film. Mm-hmm. The main thrust of the film is her is Christian Wiig's character being able to come to terms with right. You know, her being able to see other people be happy and not be get over so her jealous. insecurity, right? Yeah. But uh, I, I feel like the love interest in every romantic comedy is so bland and is just object of desire, not a right. human, that his sort of easy, you know, charming, you know, self-effacing humor. And I loved him in this movie. For, I have not seen the IT crowd. Have you seen that? Yeah. I really it? like it. It's really funny. Oh, I mean, I, it's got a I, laugh track, which kind of bugs me, but I'm willing to get past Nef- that because- Is I, that on Netflix? I, yeah. I'm into okay. British humor quite a bit, and I think he's a really charming guy. And the other guy who plays Moss on the show with the big poofy hair, he's the director of Submarine. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, Which is a movie I kind of liked, but not yeah, a lot. Not on your top ten. No, 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 no. No, he's um, great. Um, 
I want to get to my number six. Go for your number six. Because um, we've been drinking alcohol, which means I have to pee more. Yeah. So we're going to take a break. <laughs> and we're going to also talk about our... Um, or we're, we're going to reveal some other lists, which yeah. I'm excited about. Number six is a movie that we don't have to talk a whole lot about because you just brought it up fairly recently. And it's been talked to death. Everybody loves it. It is Drive. We bought it too. Oh, Drive. <laughs> it's Jack and Jill. Yeah. No, it's Drive. Which um, I'm really excited to rewatch on Blu-ray again. We didn't talk about Albert Brooks. That's because it goes without saying that he's yeah. incredible in this. And uh, you, brought a, you brought up a really interesting sort of... I didn't even have the correlation at the time, but the... The thing with his uh, with his uh, with his razor blade knives and the Dar- Dario Argento yeah. touch, I was like, "That's really weird." That he what was just does, the other thing I like about um, and there's it's such a melancholy movie between those two guys because I feel like they really want to get out of being the way they are in a way, like they want to avoid do you think confrontation. Albert Brooks's character is like that. I get the sense that he just wants to be a guy. I think in the past he was this really badass gangster who feels like in a way that he's retired from all that, but he keeps getting thrown in because of uh, Ron Perlman. Like he's past his prime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he just wants to totally get past that and like, oh, I just want to make money and chill out and retire from that lifestyle. But he keeps getting sucked back into it. I find that he's better at being a gangster than he is at being, say, um, the owner, uh, like the sponsor of a race car. (laughs) <laughs> or well, those that sort of yeah. official business. I feel they like, can't escape their identities. Right, both of them. That's a good point. Um, Maybe that's why they were doomed to confront. What each you other. were saying about the razor blade, like the the red velvet box that he keeps yeah. all of his knives in. I like the moment afterwards where you just see him sitting there. Yeah. Like to me, that sort of adds just like a quick, you know, scene of depth for his character. Like he's sort of drinking something. And sort of thinking to him, ah, I'm just, I wish I didn't have to resort to this, but what else can I do that's in my nature? Yeah. Scorpion and the Frog, which is, of yeah, course, yeah, yeah, as yeah. soon as I saw the scorpion on the jacket, I'm like, mm-hmm. I bet they're going to do a scorpion and the frog thing. Yeah. Uh, that's almost cliche at this point. I think what I like would, about I would, Nicholas it, writing. It would, be, it would be higher in my list if, I think, if they did give Carrie Mulligan something more to do, or even if they just recast that part. Well, I agree I, with that. And, a bit. and what I was saying is, uh, I, I like that. That this movie particularly has a real respect and love of trashy B movies. Oh, for sure. Um, even though I would not call this a trashy B movie, I would say this is too weird and again, just it's just it's just too odd. It's completely unconventional. But um, I mean, the song, the the sort of opera almost sounding song in the elevator. That's from a that's from an Italian exploitation movie called Adio Zio Tom, mm-hmm. which is. About I believe Italian researchers going back in time to the days of slavery. Wow, I needed to see that. Yeah, it's by the directors of Mondo Kane or Mondo Kane. Oh, really? I, should say. I always say Mondo Kane. Surprised and you haven't I, seen that yet. I, I'm obsessed with that movie. I haven't yeah. seen it yet. Um, but so cool. there's that. There's the reference to Argento. He really like you can tell that. I mean, he he's like he's huge. He's, he's a Michael Mann fan. Obviously. I feel yeah, Michael Mann. There's a lot. I feel that. Nicholas <laughs> Winding Uh How do you pronounce his last name? Reffin. I Reffin. think. Okay, so it's just like it spelled. Nicholas Winding Reffin is almost. He loved B movies, but he can't make one. He's incapable. Yeah. Like I feel like this movie kind of proves he's incapable of making a really trashy movie. 
because <laughs> he makes an artistic this is a, trashy this movie. is a violent movie yeah. and this is a, a movie that's a genre movie and it's a movie that has a lot of homages to other b movies but it's just too weird and it's too idiosyncratic to ever be uh you know something that would just be another b movie and i will say that i mean a couple of my friends who are big movie fans kind of you know have had reservations about embracing this movie the way most people have because i feel it's it kind of leaves your mind afterwards i don't know it's sort of haunted me a little bit um i don't know it's 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 something where like on one hand yeah you could just say this is just your a weirder version of a genre movie you know a, a more artistic uh take on like the driver or whatever yeah. but I um I don't know there's just there's something about and again maybe it's because being an introvert myself I respond to Ryan Gosling's character not necessarily in how he approaches violence but sort of his like I don't know like we'll we'll get to a, a subcategory later because of how he communicates with people oh, I think I it's think, really I think, weird I don't think we mentioned but after we do our top 10 list we're also going to be giving some kind of awards yeah that's right like if we had our own Academy Awards we'd remove all the bullshit costume and best sound editing fuck and, that yeah and we'd uh, we'd go right into some other more unique awards so I think Ryan Gosling is great and I, he, he continues to get better him and Michelle Williams they were appropriately in Blue Valentine together because I think they're two of the best actors working today he hasn't done anything that's really blown my mind yet. Um, but You still haven't seen Blue Valentine, have you? I haven't seen Blue Valentine. All right. Well, Drive is at number six. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back with some lists from our uh, previous guests. Yeah. Cool. Hey, Patrick and Jim. This is Mike Flynn over from Chud, leaving you a message about my favorite movies of the year. Um, bear in mind that I haven't seen a lot of movies this year that I missed a lot. I still have a lot to rent and catch up on. But as of right now, I can tell you among my favorites of the year, I can tell you Drive is absolutely number one on my list. Uh, the Descendants and Young Adult are fighting for number two right now. Uh, also got Rise of the Planet of the Apes on my list. 50-50, Hannah, Bridesmaids, Horrible Bosses, The Green Hornet. Uh, really enjoyed Win-Win, movie that not a lot of people saw this year. Uh, Fast Five really surprised me, as did Scream 4 in terms of sequels. Uh, it really, it, it wasn't the greatest year in the world. Uh, and I will tell you that the worst movies of the year that I, I think are uh, Sucker Punch, which is probably the worst fucking movie I've ever seen. Uh Killer Elite, I really hated. I really did not like Red State, and I will just defend just about anything Kevin Smith does. Uh, Unknown was dumb as a sack of rocks. So just a few things that I'm throwing out there for you guys. So hopefully I will be hearing from you soon, and uh, keep it up, guys. Thanks. That was a voicemail from Mike Flynn, yes, previous so we, uh, guest. What episode was he on? Was Walter, Walter Hill. Hill. Yeah, yeah, that was it. So I guess it should come as no surprise that uh, Drive was number one on his list then. You know? Yeah, he. Yeah. if you like Driver. <laughs> yeah, you you should like Drive, I would think. Um, That's my impression of IMDb. If you there's like a couple Drive. on there that might come up later. We'll see. But uh, um, can't really go with the Green Hornet so much. I didn't think it was awful. But there were certain there there were certain moments of that movie I felt uh -huh. came to life where Michelle Gondry, 
I get that confused with the Green Lantern. No, it, Green Hornet's Michelle Gondry, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Green Lantern is the one that with no Ryan one Reynolds. liked. Yeah, with Ryan Reynolds. That's right. I no, think Green even, Hornet has moments. It has definitely. I think even Rene didn't like uh, <laughs> didn't wow. like Green Lantern. Um, I yeah. I want to talk about Fifty Fifty maybe really quick. I think that's an interesting movie. I think. It, that, it would have made my top 20, but it sort of got bumped out. I I, I th- liked it. I think that its primary sort of uh, strength is that um, it's Seth Rogen being really funny. I mean, he's always really funny, but it's him being really funny in a more naturalistic kind of a mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope this leads to him being more funny with without necessarily making jokes, like joke jokes. Right. Um, I love Seth Rogen. I really do. Yeah. I really I, like that movie. I, don't I know. think it's kind of bullshit. I think you don't make a movie about cancer um, and structure it that way, in which there's a big final surgery that he like because uh, that's it, not that how cancer works. But that's not how cancer works. I know cancer isn't a once it's gone, it's gone. Cancer is a constant thing, you know. And I think that's kind of bullshit. I don't like how they like set up a bunch of things that didn't get resolved till before the surgery, and it's mm-hmm. like I wonder if he's going to die. Of course, he's not. It's autobiographical. No, I'm not saying – and there are details of it um, that feel very real, um, particularly just being shitty at sex. I don't think anyone would ever make a cancer movie um, that would have a scene where it's just like, oh, I can't keep it up. Um, cause like I, he's cause Christian I'm Bale in American Psycho. Right. I don't think we're going to see that from, from cancer. I don't patient. think it's a bad movie. I just think it's kind of a bad movie. I think there will be somebody later that we might read a list from that will disagree. Yeah. Let's fine. go on to uh, Rennie, since you brought him up. Rennie? I, hey, I do want to – wait. What? <laughs> turn it – did you – okay, okay. That's okay. Go ahead. Um, I do want to warn everybody. Rennie, one of my favorite people in the world, uh, try not to have an uh, – try not to have an aneurysm as you're listening to his best of list. With that in mind, that ringing endorsement. Hey guys, it's Rennie. Just calling in. To by, give you all my... Really quickly, by the way, the Google Voice transcription says, "Hey guys, it's raining." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay, okay, I'm done. Go ahead. Go ahead. Top fifteen. I wasn't able to squeeze it down to a top ten. I ended up doing a top fifteen also for Chud, and here they are. Number one was Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Number two was The Green Hornet. Really, both of those movies were actually my number one films, but I had to make a choice and it'll go with Rise because hmm. that one just really blew my socks off. Number three, and I know this one kind of a little bit of flack, was The Thing prequel because I ended up loving that. Number four is Drive Angry, shot in 3D. We talked about that one when uh, I was when I was a guest. So there's not much I'll talk there because it was just awesome. Number five was the Mechanic remake. Number six was the Hangover Part Two. Number seven was the Lincoln Lawyer. That one's already standing out from my list because I just really like McConaughey and especially Ryan Phillippe. I mean that guy's reinventing himself as a character actor. Number eight is Captain America: The First Avenger. Number nine is X Men: First Class. Number ten is Paul. Number 11 was unknown because I just like Liam Neeson being a badass. Number 12 was Fast Five. Number 13 was the Straw Dogs remake. I didn't catch that one in the theaters. I had to wait for Redbox, but I ended up being pleasantly surprised with that one. Number 14 was Red State. Yes, that one directed by Kevin Smith that 
seemed to have also gotten a lot of flag from a lot of people, but Michael Parks just knocked that one out. And number 15 was Final Destination 5, because just like Drive Angry shot in 3D, they used the 3D to their advantage by just throwing everything in your face. Well, that's my top 15. If anybody wants to read it, I just I decided to say the titles, but if anybody wants to read my reasons for it, they can go to chud.com and check out the blog section because that's where I posted it at. And um love being on y'all's podcast last year, and I look forward to being on it again this year. So y'all know where I'm at. I'm also on Twitter and Facebook, so just look me up. Nice talking to you all, and love the show. Bye. One more quick Google transcription. <laughs> this could be a whole other from, segment. From that call. <laughs> it says Google Voice. <laughs> I just want to let everyone know Google Voice is the uh, sort of program we use for our voicemail, and uh, it has a little uh, feature that, in addition to recording the voice, it will transcribe it for you. But the way it transcribes it is sort of it, it feels like it just has a stroke, like <laughs> in, in halfway through every sentence. <laughs> This one at the end is for it says so I don't know prime animal from Twitter and Facebook. I don't know. <laughs> prime I animal, the cannibal. Rennie, only person in the universe who his uh, top ten list is drive angry is above drive. <laughs> wow, I had yeah, you're well, wow. Um, <laughs> you would think at yeah. least. I mean, I understand. I mean, you like action movies, but sure. Drive Angry over Drive. I, was Drive even on the list? Um, I don't think it was. Maybe didn't get a chance to see it. But, yeah, uh, I'm hoping that's the case. <laughs> um, it's, I lo- this is why I love Rennie. This yeah, is definitely. really why I love him. Uh, and I will say is that his the number one thing three about, movie of the year is the Thing prequel. I say that Red State is kind of worth watching for Michael Parks. It really isn't. I mean, there's that's the highlight, man. I think it's, that that's 100 percent the highlight, and I think that if that speech that he gives was in the middle of a movie that wasn't completely shit, no one would be talking mm. about it. But it's like an oasis, you and know. I, did, I bet uh, the best water yeah. you ever taste is going to be in, a, in an oasis. That's because you're in a desert and it's been days since you drank, oh. and that's that's how I feel about Michael Parks' speech. If okay, people, okay. People overpraise it just because it's it's it stands out surrounded by shit. Maybe. Yeah. I think I'm mostly in agreement with that, and I kind of like the Lincoln Lawyer. It's not terrible either. I like. I have a thing for lawyer movies. I don't know. No, I've heard good it's, things it's, about it's Lincoln Lawyer. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I wouldn't say it's great. Definitely wouldn't make my top twenty, but yeah, it wasn't bad. It wasn't terrible. Um, shall we hit one more voicemail? And one then move more on? voicemail from Stephen yeah, Ray yeah, Morris, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, for who was on our Tim Burton episode. Yeah, looking forward to this. Okay. Hi, Patrick. Hi, Jim. It's uh, Stephen Ray Morris. I just wanted to leave my top. Well, I could only uh, be honest and say that I only saw enough movies to really do a top five, so I hope you don't mind uh, my cheating. But my first one, well, actually, I'll start with number five, uh, Tree of Life, which I actually just saw last night. Very beautiful movie, Dinosaurs, Terrence Malick, awesome, beautiful, really well done. Not profound, but Grapes of Wrath meets Cosmos. Number four is uh, Contagion, which hmm. I really enjoyed the hell out of. It was just such an enjoyable thriller, really tight, really well done. No need for annoying backstories and blah, blah, blah. Just very efficient filmmaking. Number three is The Muppets. And while I have some problems with the, with, um, the nature of the era that it's made in, and, you know, we love The Muppets, The Muppets are never going to go out of style. I mean, it's just great songs, you know, just a good time. You just felt good. 
And, you know, at this point, that's all I can ask for. Agreed. In a movie like that, so. It's fun. And then number two is Attack the Block. I mean, I just, I felt such a rush, such a thrill ride. Um, I used to live in that area of London, so <laughs> I enjoyed seeing that area and the, you know, and the people that, you know, live in the area experience all that. I just thought it was a very cool movie. Again, just reminds me of, you know, when people, when we first saw Shaun of the Dead, you know, it was just, or, you know, just really any, you know, you know, sort of up and coming, you know, low budget, fun genre, you know, feel good. You know, I don't know. It just, it just was a good time all around and, you know, just love this little kid's being up aliens absolutely so, and my number one choice is actually a well it's a shorter film it's don Hertzfeld's third chapter in the bill trilogy called it's such a beautiful day and i mean this is this is a tree of life compressed into into 30 minutes i mean huh. it's it's you know it's a wonderful and surprising uh you know, end to the Bill trilogy, you know, I mean, taking little stick figures and making this sort of beautiful, cathartic, surprising, uh, profound piece of animation is, um, I mean, it just blew me away. And, you know, I, it was better than I expected and more than I expected and different than I expected. And I, I mean, to say that I was really anticipating it is not a lie, but it really held up to all my expectations. So hmm. anyway, that's my top five. Um, I, I really liked Young Adult. That was another movie that got bumped out. Um, and definitely Hollow Spark 2 because I'm a Harry Potter nerd. So, anyway, um, thanks, guys. Uh, it was really fun to be on the podcast this year and, you know, love what you guys did. So, um, here's to 2012. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, that was really cool. I have here no idea what his, 2012. I have no idea what his number one was. I oh. haven't heard of it. I've not heard about it either. Um, I'm sure it's sort of maybe a short film that short yeah. films don't get big distribution, but True. I'll search for it. I'll see maybe maybe it'll be on YouTube. Yeah, maybe it'll be on uh, the other one, Vi- mm. Vimeo. Oh yeah, the that's, Vimeo. That's, that's also that's, like that's, that's what the kids are into. That's the uh, hipster YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because I never ever want to hear the word hipster ever again. Mm. That's my you want to you you want to know the worst of 2011. I'm not gonna you know make fun of Jack and Jill or anything. The worst 2011 was the word hipster. Never again. I agree. I'm sick of it. Yeah. Will you please, people out there in the world, in the universe, in the cyber world, uh-huh. just you know just curb the hipster. Yeah. You know, and I know you want to use the word pandering a lot, and I understand it has a valid reason uh-huh. for being used. But there are certain things out there in the world that you know what I don't, I don't, I don't consider it being pandered to. Uh-huh. You know, like when we saw the future trailer, and you were all like, "Man, I thought that was." pandering to hipsters so uh there you go it's a double whammy but whoa man you were wrong yes i was uh shall we get get through our the rest of our list and then maybe read more lists that we got via email that's a good idea i agree what's your number five patrick it's funny funny that you mention it my number five is the future (laughs) now you want to talk about being surprised i've i read nothing but good reviews of it, so I wanted to give it a chance, but I want to know there was a. I want you to know there was a big argument because um, I posted the trailer on my on my Facebook. You know, before I saw it, I, I hate it. Got me, ugly. you, and everyone you know. Um, I I think I hurt. I think you Jim's, should rewatch it. I think I hurt Jim's feelings almost. Maybe yeah, a little bit. I mean, not necessarily like you know, in a way that was you devastating. Yeah. No, but I, was I didn't just, make you cry. I was just like, I, th- I think he's being a little cynical here. 
it looked like the worst shit ever. And if <laughs> I, if you, if you listeners want to go out and look at the trailer, tell me that doesn't look like the worst shit ever. But guess what? I didn't think it's it did. amazing. It's it's not a movie. The funny thing is, it's not a movie I feel comfortable recommending wholeheartedly. Agreed. Not because I think it's a bad movie, but because I think if you are not in tune with the very specific fear, with being very unsure of yourself and being very afraid of death and be like, if you're not in tune with this sort of thing, if basically if you're over, you know, <laughs> basically if you're over 35 and have somehow like made a life for yourself, you know, and you like, and you know your identity and you're comfortable with yourself. And basically if you're anything other than a colossal fuck up, I couldn't recommend this to you wholeheartedly because that's what, because the movie's so personal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's a million movies about Arrested Development. Uh, I think all the Judd Apatow movies. I mean, not, not funny people, but you know, Knocked Up and Forty Year Old Version are about Arrested sure. Development, and all the a lot of movies that followed were about Arrested Development, and everyone's about man children and stuff. But I really think that this does this better than any other movie because I think instead of framing it into a context of I don't want responsibility I want to play video games and that's how it kind of started out because they're all like let's turn off our laptops you know let's let's try and get back in touch with things or I I was worried that it was going to be not necessarily preachy but just kind of like I don't know how to describe I was just kind of worried for a little bit because they get to the point where they're like okay We've got to really get back in touch with reality here and yeah. change things up. But basically, I think the context the movie operates in is not, I don't want responsibility and right. I'm afraid to become an adult because that means boring things. It's <laughs> it's pretty much, I'm afraid to die. And or like the, the context that is... Or die within the relationship that they're having. No, I, I think it's actually about fear of mortality. Um, like literally fear of mortality because the idea is we're almost 30 and 30 is almost 40 and 40 is almost dead. Like I sort of see it as a fear of stagnation. I, well, I really see it literally as a fear of mortality, which is something I have like a not being able fear to, of. Not being able to either evolve within your relationship or just – you feel like you've reached a point where you don't think it's going to go anywhere. I think there's there is a, there is some of that. I don't think that's the main thrust of it. I mean, I will disagree with Maybe you. Maybe not. But um and it hits that button and it does it in fantastic ways. And yes, it's narrated by a kitten and honestly, I think the kitten narr- the kitten only operates as a metaphor. I I don't think the kitten and I think it's kind of silly and I would probably like the movie more without the kitten, but um, there's one scene in which uh, – Don't give it too much away. No, I'm not giving it too much away. But someone tries to stop time basically and is pleading with a, a sort of omnipotent force to stop time forever. If I hadn't been amongst friends, I might have lost my shit. Yeah. That moment to me is one of the most honest – like when you're in crisis and you're trying to – you don't want to go on. You're too afraid to mm-hmm. see what happens next. You're too – and I get like this is all pathetic. And I think what's important – another important thing is that gets mistaken about Miranda July is I think that a lot of indie movies and movies that resemble Miranda July's movies and I think a lot of Me, You, and Everyone You Know is 
they think they're being very cute and they think they're being very quirky and they think they're being Amelie where they're just like, well, we're creating a character that's just so so weird and charming and it's flattering the audience because the audience considers themselves as weird and charming. You I know? think the majority of the characters, I mean, you and everyone are struggling with some sort of existential crisis or they're depressed. I mean, it definitely has I, moments of that I, cuteness. but I think, it, I think that she thinks that she's being a little too cute. In this, I think the characters are genuinely pathetic and – the I and something Miranda July is able to do, um, probably because she's so earnest and so unafraid of going in those places, is she's able to criticize these characters for being pathetic while still empathizing with them really deeply and strongly. Empath- empathizing, yeah, empathize, yeah, 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 yeah. No, totally. I got that impression throughout the whole way. We had a very similar response to this, and I was worried. Well, that, it was funny. I was worried it. because you stormed out of the theater, and I was like. Is he upset by this movie or was he so moved um, and related to it? Because if if he was upset well, and he hated saw, it. We then... saw it in a group and it was embarrassing. It's almost like yeah. seeing your inner th- – like, again, this is for me. I reason Again, 100% can't recommend it for everyone because it's just so personal for me. But uh, and I, And I'm sure my low self-esteem and all that has to do with this fact that I relate so intensely to characters that are pathetic. But – like it was embarrassing to watch it in a group of friends because I felt like I was exposing too much about my life <laughs> with that I was comfortable to expose to my friends. Uh, Not that my friends they wouldn't get that impression. No, I know, I know, but that's how it felt when I was watching it. Uh-huh. And so it was a little fat- too personal. Yeah, it's extremely personal and it was embarrassing for me to watch and it's just an incredible movie in that regard and then there's this one Sort of almost avant-garde, completely almost separate from the rest of the movie moment that's like a interpretive dance sequence, which I found incredibly moving and I interpreted it in my own way. Uh, that's what you, this whole movie is. Right. It's being a, sort of a, a, a visual journey of metamorphosis and it's one long shot. There's no edits, at, at least not as I remember. And um, I, yeah. it's, it's an incredible movie and it gets there – in a way that I can easily imagine would annoy so many people, so which is and why it has you know, and that, which is why I haven't been as vocal about how much I love the future, because I I realize you know on this podcast I'm in a position to tell people and recommend people, but I don't you know I don't want to give people the wrong impression. This is not a movie for everybody. Um, if if you have any kind of modicum of self you know uh, of of satisfaction in your life and you know what you're doing and you're not scared i imagine this movie will not connect you in any way but i i feel like i i've reached a point in my life where i've gotten a lot more satisfaction and i have a goal and i feel a little bit more content than yeah. i have in the past but i still have moments where i'm questioning my own future <laughs> and i'm questioning whether or not you know, and, and I found it to be completely relatable in being in a long-term relationship for three years and having that moment yeah. of realization that, I like, my, oh I'd... fuck, we may not last, and I should, <laughs> I should just stop time so you know we don't have to face. And this. of course, when he stops time in the movie, it only stops time for him. Right. It doesn't stop time for anyone. It's fucking brilliant. It is a a wonderful movie. Way better than uh, me and you and everyone we know, and I still like that movie. But um, I'm 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 a, I'm Team Miranda July all the way. I, I've actually 
I, I hate all of her other stuff, non-film stuff because she's done a lot of writing and she has like art projects and I think most of them are bullshit. Aww. So I'm not team Miranda July yet, but I am team future. Um, I think you are on board for my number five since it was already mentioned, so we won't. Yeah, there's a couple of, I think there's at least two or th- I, I want to say, yeah, four more movies that we both agree on. Yeah. Um, so number five is Certified Copy. Oh, yeah. And uh, I feel like the nature of the relationship within this movie, I was constantly questioning. And in, in some way, the characters themselves were questioning it, mm-hmm. and that felt like a really interactive experience. And I really like that about it, but it also has this before sunset approach to it where it's just characters having these amazing conversations about love life, their philosophies, uh, just like their perceptions of how things should be, and both having very different opinions on that. And I realize it's kind of set up at the book reading at the beginning that like a duplicate copy is just as valuable as the original. But I also feel like that the identity of themselves is kind of mutable and the immediate emotional response between these two people is what is important. Like the emotional response within that scene or within the context or within the experience they're sharing together. Um, whether like I think you know that's and they also change languages, right? Yes, it is. Uh, yeah. It is in English, French, and Italian. Yeah, and I think they sort of nonchalantly go back and forth between languages in this movie. That's an interesting point I hadn't thought of. Yeah, yet. and I, I was thinking of that more in retrospect about, huh? That's I mean, and it's th- by an Iranian film director, right? So I don't know. I, I I think again, like how you said, there is something within this movie that makes it completely compelling just to watch great actors have amazing moments together. Um, but you're still not sure. It's like a really interesting puzzle. Yeah. And I found a lot. But it's not pretentious. No. Which is what I find most fascinating is that it's able to have conversations about philosophy and it's able to have a very interesting and, and puzzling kind of reality about it. But it isn't – it does never feels pretentious. It right. feels very vibrant and vivid. Yeah. And again, I think most of like most of my favorite movies of 2011 are more about feeling. Um, and there are people who can watch this movie and not get anything out of it because they don't feel like, you know, that the, the, there's no legitimate, you know, uh, characters. Like because it's I, you know there's not necessarily any kind of manipulation going on between what happens halfway through everything. But um, there's some people who kind of feel like that the questioning of whether or not they're really together is important. You know, I mean, it's it's either something you will gravitate towards and want to go along with along the way, or you just will tune out. And one of, I mean, one of my honorable mentions is another film. I love films that sort of deconstruct romantic relationships in interesting ways. This one does that very well. Yeah. So let's move on. Well, my number four, which I believe is probably further up in your list, but is um, Meek's Cutoff. Oh yes. Now this is you I- can go off, and I will. Hold hold off until later. All right. Um, it, it's fascinating, uh, sort of a thrilling kind of a movie. It's shot in standard aspect ratio. I, b- I believe it's called Academy Ratio. Uh, is one of the terms for it. You know, four three, and um, it is. I, it's hard to really describe. It, it's by the. Uh, I don't remember the director's name. What's Kelly Reichart. Kelly Reichart, who directed Wendy and Lucy, another kind of minimalist 
you know, films. And it's a it's a movie about settlers. Uh, you know, it's you know. Uh, this I is guess... the best video game adaptation of all. <laughs> That's right. It's a great <laughs> Oregon Trail film. Um, but it one of the the things that this movie does so well that sort of amazed me is it makes uh, there are certain feelings that translate well to film. I think obviously sight translates well to film, sound translates well to film, and then there are th- feelings like feet, like texture. And and mm. touch that's not a sense that necessarily translates well to film, but I mean something like Drive that focuses insanely on texture, you sort of get that feeling. And then there's, and then I mean like hunger and thirst are kind of hard to trans on the film because it's hard to act like you're unless you see the film's hunger and thirst. Well, right, <laughs> those are great films. But um, uh, what I'm saying is this movie is the very best. Uh, sort of depiction of what it is like to be dying of thirst. Mm. Um, it is it and its structure enables it to in which the ver- the movie opens on them crossing a river and everything's long shots. In fact, there's a lot of characters in the film that I didn't realize, like a lot of actors in the film I didn't realize were there. Like I didn't realize that Paul Dano was in this movie until about an hour into it. Yeah. He's covered just, in a big hat. Well, there's big hat, and there's also that it it doesn't do close ups really right. until later. It the film sort of and a gradually lot of works dark. its way into close ups yeah. and into the dark, and like the whole opening of the film and everything is mostly long shots. And so the the feeling uh, the movie opens with them anyway, crossing a river and getting their water, and the rest of the film is them sort of lost. Uh, these settlers sort of lost. And realizing that they're running out of water. Um, and because the first image you see of the film is this rushing river, like, you keep thinking back to the beginning of the film just the same way that they're thinking back to the last time they had water. And it, and just the, yeah, just the way the structure is made in that way makes the fact that you see day after day go on and they still haven't reached another river. They haven't reached another water supply, you know? It makes it so palpable and and strong, and there's that, and then there's this sort of ambiguity. They they uh, find a Native American, and they sort of capture him, and they sort of force him to lead the way because there's a man named Meek, and uh, he has been their guide, but right now he's untrustworthy, maybe. Um, Bruce Greenwood is unrecognizable in this movie. He's amazing. Is that Meek? Uh-huh. What else yeah. is Bruce Greenwood in? Uh, I think he was in this uh, JFK movie, 13 Days. I didn't see that. A couple of things that I can't think of offhand. He's a really good actor. Um, but yeah, no, he's no, There, there are a couple recognized. I mean, Michelle Williams is great in it, obviously, and Paul Dano and uh, that one fucking guy whose name I can never remember. Oh, that's right. Oh, he was yeah. in Armageddon. <laughs> wow, I forgot his name and I'm usually good at that. Uh, I'll get to that in a yeah, second. Yeah, I think ahead. he. I think he may have been in Gone Baby Gone, as well. If I yeah, I know correctly. who you're talking about. But anyway, there's a lot of. But oh, never... he was uh, Christopher Pike in Star Trek. There you go. Chris it's Green never. Yeah. It's never distracting. But um, there's that. Um, there's the fact that it's just beautifully shot. Um, mm-hmm. And that it, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's the kind of film that is not a lot of incident. You know, there's not a lot of events. It's not a thriller. It's not you know exciting that makes you sort of just ponder the images. Um, I think more than any other movie, it made me think about how fucking harsh it must have been to go west 
in that time, like the alienation and the loss, just feeling lost and like, oh my God, there's no fucking, like, there's no map for what you're doing and you have to trust this one man who may or may not be trustworthy because he's he's proven himself again and again to just be so stubborn. They did not have GPS. Can you believe that shit? Well, I mean, as someone like me, who's actually very terrified of being lost and always uses my GPS Mm because I don't have a great sense of direction. It's scary. Will Patton is who you were thinking of. There you go. Bill. Will, Will Patton. Will Patton. And then there's, uh, there's a bunch of images that sort of, you know, hint at a subtext, uh, you know, like them throwing the grandfather clock out of the back of the covered wagon without ever, Again, keeping its subtext. It's not – it never never overwhelms the movie. And anyway, so they catch this Native American and they make him show them the way, but he might be lying. And just, there's this incredible uncertainty. Michelle Williams is incredible in it. It's kind of a hard movie to explain because it's so visual and it's not necessarily an idea-driven movie. But it's just a beautiful and captivating movie and it focuses enough on tiny details like Michelle Williams repairing the the Native American's moccasin and stuff like that that sort of allows your mind to wander and think of other themes and subtexts and stuff like that. Uh, I love that movie. So uh, Meek's Cutoff is my number uh, four. We'll be hearing about that again. Yeah. Number four is a movie we talked about at length, The Future, yep. which is a uh, fucking great and I had a very similar experience that Patrick did, and maybe for different reasons, you know? Um, maybe it's because of the age difference, I don't know. But at the same time, I think um, it could be the circumstances uh, and sort of realizing, you know, that relationships create a lot of uncertainty because you feel like, okay, I'm with somebody, it feels great, and I'm, I'm, I'm completely happy, and I feel this this sense of um, I, I, of connection with another person, but you also not necessarily. This isn't something you completely immerse yourself in every waking minute when you're in a relationship. But you just maybe it is going back to your what you were saying about death. But it's I was more or less thinking of it as the death of a relationship. I think this is uh-huh. a really profoundly. Um, Devastating feel- portrayal of a breaking of breaking up in a way that I hadn't felt since Eternal Sunshine. Now, it, I mean, this may be the point. This may be one of the reasons you feel it's a movie about breaking up. But uh, I feel it can't be because the two characters are rarely in the same scene together. Like their their own personal. They're, they're already experiencing some sort of disconnection. Yeah, that's interesting them. that you got that because I yeah I didn't get I I definitely sense that. You know, trepidation and worry about the relationship was part of it, but it was definitely not the main thrust for me. Mm. The main thrust for me was a sphere of death. Okay, so and I, I'm I'm willing to uh, revisit it again too to absolutely to sort of get that feel for it. But uh, it's again, it's I'm kind of looking forward to rewatching it. I, I don't know why it's not. I mean. At this point, it doesn't matter because I'm I'm so invested in Blu-ray, but I don't know why it's not out on Blu-ray. So, um, is it out on DVD? It is out on DVD, but so, not Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah, That's I, weird. that is weird. But um, yeah, I think this is a movie for the more adventurous uh, film buff, I guess, because it's something that you know I, I feel like a lot of this in my uh, top five, especially. 
you'll either get it. I'm not saying I don't want to say get it. I, I, th- I feel like that's kind of condescending. To Absolutely, because to true. say because to say you won't if you don't get it, you you know you're wrong. I'm saying that you'll either go with it. Maybe yeah. you know? that's a better way to put it. Yeah, that's, that's a very good I way mean. to put it. So I mean that's and that's fine. That's fine if you come back to me and say you know what I just didn't. Nah, this wasn't for me. I didn't feel anything while watching uh-huh. this movie, um, and that goes for uh, a few other movies. Um, but I think we should just move on because we did talk about the future in a well, way that I, f- I, I feel I, like it, I got it, bad news for you. Hmm. We also talked about my number three, which is a separation. Oh yeah, and I, I believe I talked very much at length about a separation. No, I, th- I think <laughs> we both uh, had a very similar response to that too. Uh, so it's an incredible movie. Yeah, please, people. Check your local listings <laughs> and uh, <laughs> see when it's coming out near you. And if it's not coming out near you, see if it's coming to Netflix Instant. After, you know, some couple of months afterwards, see if it's coming to DVD. Do not sleep on a separation. I know it doesn't sound like Drive, where the kind of movie where yeah. you get super psyched to see, and you know it. But it really is a thrilling and exciting movie, just by the way it masters interpersonal relationships right. and. Yeah, it's not Strong the kind of characters. it's not the kind of movie that will go get the internet going nuts, you know, to to paraphrase Paul Wall. Um but it is the kind of movie that you will really really get something out of no matter who you are. Um Good good way to put it. Yeah. And we can finally get to a movie then that You're number 3. Yeah. yeah. Number 3 is a movie that um we haven't talked about at all. Right. And that would be Take Shelter, which is a film that I think represents mental illness in a way that I hadn't seen before. It's very low-key. It's a very deliberate approach to um, storytelling with the absolute best performance of the year by Michael Shannon, an actor that we have grown to expect Greatness from every time. Do you he's remember on the screen. first time you saw Bug? Yeah. That, that was where I was exposed. Was that the first where you were first exposed to Michael Shannon? I believe so. That's Other than Groundhog exciting, Day, there's not a lot of <laughs> there's not a lot of actors these days where one movie will be where everyone goes, "Oh shit!" like and takes yeah. notice of someone. But I think Michael Shannon is definitely one of those actors who it almost feels like he's doing a parody of himself already in uh, Boardwalk Empire but it's just one of those actors everything he's in he adds i mean we've we've talked about revolutionary road i i think his, as written his character is the absolute worst part of that movie and i think that movie is a horrible movie but i would disagree yes yeah but i think he's i think that's what's kind of amazing you know he makes lemons out of lemonade and he takes a part that is basically just a character who is introduced in order to spout the themes of the film and then leave, and he's captivating to watch. Revolutionary Road is lemonade, I think. I think. I mean, even if mm-hmm. I think, no. like the maybe. Go on. I'm, uh, yeah, I, you know, we'll there's talk nothing. About it there's nothing more damning that you can say than to keep praising Revolutionary Road. So I'm not going to interrupt you. Uh, Go ahead. Anyway, take shelter. It's subtle. <laughs> it's slow. It's suspenseful. It's. It contains one of my all-time – I don't know. I don't want to say all-time. I always do that. I, I speak in hyperbole sometimes. Yes. Favorite moments – Do you remember when you said 500 Days of Summer is the best movie about relationships ever? Can, I'm, I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to – I can't believe that I ever said that. 
It's true. Um, let's get back to no, Take no, no, Shelter. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Really, tell me about Take Shelter because I have it's not so seen this good. and I'm interested to see it. Um, we are unable the, the to moment, obtain a The screener. moment of catharsis that comes in this movie, it takes place in a dining hall, floored me. Like, my jaw was on the floor. I, I was blown away because it's so such a beautiful build-up to this moment and shannon just becomes the storm he's been dreaming about in a way that feels completely justified and not in any other movie you'd say well that was over the top but the, the destruction of mental stability is something that any person can struggle with at any given time and his character has this like he almost internalizes the apocalypse you know like he feels like oh, nice. oh shit like I'm I could be coming mentally ill and all these visions I'm having could be serious issues that I have to deal with but he becomes really pragmatic about it and that's where I feel like this movie sort of stands out where a lot of portrayals of mental illness are all about a, a gradual escalation of symptoms and he becomes so out of control and starts you know freaking out more he this guy sort of deals with it in a very realistic way like he goes to the library you know like it, it it plays out in a very sort of david gordon green subdued way where it's just like oh i'm gonna go do this thing or i'm gonna go try and talk to a counselor or do these very realistic things that a person like you or me might do well that's it what's interesting is it's he's is he he's he's doing something that is logical right and makes sense but it only makes sense to someone <laughs> like that is how crazy people think or i mean i want to say crazy because that's whatever insensitive but people who are mentally disturbed believe they're acting perfectly logically right so that's the way it's presented it's it not is presented, just uh, it's presented in that way although you get the impression that's not going to be enough you, right. you get the impression that uh you know he's he might be getting worse and some pills aren't going to be the answer. Uh, there's going to be a lot more work involved. And it comes to a point where he may, he may be in denial about how bad things are getting. And I feel like you can still look at this movie as not just a portrayal of mental illness, but what happens when a person struggles, like losing a job, questioning your marriage, sabotaging your friendships. Um, and this awareness from him, I think, is really um, astounding. Yeah. To watch, um, even if it's slow, I I will admit that, you know, if you don't like slow movies, you might feel impatient while watching this. But trust me, it builds, it builds, and it gets to certain moments. And again, this is another year of ambiguous endings. I feel like the final image of this movie um, suggests something really powerful, um, because he's been this practical guy who solves problems on his own. And to me, without giving anything away, I wouldn't reveal what it is, but what I think the final image of this movie suggests is that he doesn't have to face the storms alone anymore. And to me, that's a really beautiful thing to, to, to realize. I think it's, it's a hopeful ending. And there's a lot of people who feel like, uh, that ending is doesn't do it for me, and to me, it it moved me. And this whole movie, I think, is it's a great. As much as I loved Melancholia, and it's obviously in my top twenty, Take Shelter has a more um, low key approach, like I said, and I I feel like it's a sharp contrast to Melancholia in that way, and I feel it's um, even better, uh -huh. much better film, and I I, I oh, wow. can't wait to go back to it. 
Um, so my, please see it when it comes out, I think, yeah. in February for Valentine's On, Day. It's <laughs> a very romantic film. I think it is. Um, now, you have not seen My Son, My Son, What Have You Done? Mm-mm, mm-mm. Okay, because that I is I fell a film, asleep, but I want to watch that it. That is a film about Michael Shannon and mental illness, and that was a movie that gave me a panic attack. Yeah, this one did. Yeah, so sure. uh, I, I, I would be excited to see what you would think of that movie and see how it would compare. I I'm excited to see Take Shelter and see how it would compare. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My number two is uh, not really a surprise. Um, it's probably the number one most beloved movie of the year. I think we have a match. Ding, 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 Is your number two Tree of Life as well? It is. Oh, good. Uh, Tree of Life is an incredible movie. And as widely praised and beloved, and it you know won the Palme d'Or, and it's on the top of a lot of people's lists, or mm-hmm. at least number mm-hmm. two on a lot of people's lists, like it almost it feels almost like the future in that it is so personal to me. Um, yeah. Now, I mean, not everyone grew up in Texas with the domineering father who is disappointed about the way that his life went, uh, <laughs> but I did. So, <laughs> so Brad Pitt in this movie. Uh, was kind of just like an exaggerated, you know, more harsh. Ver- I mean, I didn't grow up in the fifties, obviously, but it was a very similar kind of experience. Um, so this movie is kind of like an autobiography for me. But beyond that, even uh, I just the way that it portrays memory is yeah. so fucking dead on to me and. There's something I was talking – because my dad is, uh, you know, in, a, in addition to being very similar to Brad Pitt in this movie, he is also a very staunch Catholic. So this is a movie that I actually showed to him because this is a – you know, it's a very Christian film. Um, you what know, was his response to it? He loved it. Great. Yeah. Um, this is a – I almost consider this film kind of a prayer. Uh, this this sort of understanding – I felt very spiritual while watching it. Yeah. Like I had a – you know, just like I mean, yeah. how people feel in church. I was like, oh, my God. Yes. And I yeah. mean, I'm atheist. I'm th- you're agnostic or yes. atheist. Um, I would say more agnostic these days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. After true life. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> I want to be ambiguous. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you like to cultivate that mysterious personality. Mm-hmm. No, but absolutely. And it is a movie about uh, everything. And it it is a prayer about everything. And it is... Uh, and again, being raised a strict Catholic, you know, as I was, that part responded to me, even though it's no longer part of my life anymore. And the idea that God, is, you know, the way that you envision God is your father, you know, and there's and there's that mm-hmm. moment where you suddenly realize that your father is not God. He's a human being. I mean, that's an important part of it. And the way it depicts memory as flashes of images that aren't necessarily connected because no one remembers their life as a narrative. People, right. you know, I mean, maybe someone does out there does, but I definitely only remember bits and pieces. You know, I couldn't tell you how I am, where I am now. I couldn't tell you what happened in seventh grade or sixth grade. I can only tell you the moment in sixth grade when blank. I can only tell you the moment when I was eight when blank. You the know, fir- the moment where you first saw a handicapped or disabled person walking the, on the street the as moment, a kid. The moment I saw I, I saw a prisoner and who is yeah. handcuffed, and that made an impression on me. The moment where I tied a frog to a rocket. I mean, none of these things I actually <laughs> did, but you get the impression that you're only being cherry picked moments whose 
that that's profundity is not necessarily you know not immediately apparent you know it's right. not it's not a greatest hits of someone's life of first kiss first blank first blank it's that's not because that's not how memory works and the way memory exaggerates things. It's the in way, fragments. Yeah, and the way memory exaggerates things where his mom is an angel. His mom's a literal fucking angel. And um and and of course Terrence Malick is the only person I only director I know who makes the most beautiful images but doesn't kill the life in the image in the process. I feel like people like Stanley Kubrick and David Fincher, they make the most beautiful films, but they make them – they're only able to make them because they're cold and clinical and they're perfectionist. And I feel mm-hmm. like Terrence Malick finds the beauty in a bug crawling across a leaf, you know? Like he finds beauty in spontaneity and there is – I really sincerely believe that it takes a very specific and very talented kind of a director to have the kind of – to have scenes with the kind of naturalism that yeah. – sort of the scenes in which the mom is playing with the two kids in the front yard and or stuff like that. Or just be able to flawlessly mesh the personal with the cosmic. Yeah. Like how could – that is the most ambitious thing to do in a movie and to pull it off um, – I mean, it it definitely was number one for a very long time for me. Um, the only minor complaint is the last ten minutes, only because of the imagery being kind of cliche. Oh, it's extremely cliche. Um, just his portrayal of because I think there's so many original uh, moments in this movie with just visually, like the you've I- never seen anything like it. The and- idea that empathy and sympathy. Um, is a nature thing that that there's a dinosaur that spares another dinosaur's yes. life is, is the, such the a nature versus thing. nurture element of this movie is or not a, just or the way it's framed nature versus grace yeah right v- with just within the parents within you know the dinosaur scene but um, I'm I I will say that even after a third viewing I think the uh, the the segment with Sean Penn at the beach doesn't affect me emotionally no, no. as much as I originally thought. And I think if I believed in God, and more importantly, if I believed in heaven, that might affect me more. I wonder if, though, it's Sean Penn's internal, like, mental acceptance, or at least him trying to come to terms with his past, and, like... I don't know if that's a literal heaven, but even, even because we see the last shot of this movie is Sean Penn walking down the street again. So I don't think it's a literal. We go into the future, and that's him in heaven, kind of a reveal. But it's a depiction of heaven, and maybe, maybe it's an internal heaven. I don't know. I don't know how else to explain I don't, it. I don't. Yeah, but I don't, like I, don't, I think it's too cliche. Yeah, to I, I will. I agree. I agree, and that's the only qualm I have because I know a lot of people just sort of harp on. Well, Sean Penn doesn't do anything. He just he's just kind of a cipher, and I agree to some extent. I, I think I don't think Sean. I think I think one of the biggest problems is that it's Sean Penn cast in it because when Sean Penn is there, and as as far as I understand, you know, this is a movie that was originally like you know maybe even twice as long. Um, this is a, and I understand there is more to his character. I'm sure there is than the kind of framing device that he ended up being. I think all, the only sort of purpose he serves is as a framing device for so you view everything that follows as a memory and not right. as literal reality. Not not that and not that's that fine. all of the fucking halos and the fucking mother flying and all of those. 
And there's a great moment where he's like in the house and he's just sort of like looking at curtains mm-hmm. or he's like hiding under like that's the shit that I remember is just again this sort of focus on the on on textures and text you know and like and he does it without dialogue in a lot of moments but even with scenes with dialogue it's pretty powerful with the interactions that Brad Pitt has with his children felt very real to me um, the the moment with Brad Pitt standing outside and him trying to justify to his son why he is the way he is there's is incredibly an, there's powerful. There's a real empathy for for Brad Pitt's character and that sort of frustration he has that he could have been something that he is no longer that that has passed yeah. him and that he he is having struggles accepting it and it is. I feel like I've had that conversation with my father. Yeah. No, same. And, and I wonder if – I don't know if this is why uh, Carly didn't connect. Do you think it really primarily is a movie for I – don't, I don't like generalizing it this way. My girlfriend, Carly? Yeah. I don't like generalizing it and saying I, – I think, I think anyone can connect with this movie, but I, I've heard in some instances that you have to relate to it as a boy, as a as – you know, having this boyhood experience. I don't and, believe that's the case. And sort of, you know – Focusing on the father-son element all, of the movie. All of the way I intensely relate to it on a personal level helped why I love it so much. But in in Carly's specific instance, I don't think that she – she's just not the kind of person who views films as allegories and metaphors. And That's like, fine. I yeah. know. Absolutely. And she's she's not – she likes stories that are literal stories and they mean what they mean. Mm-hmm. And if there's other themes and stuff being tackled, great, but that can't be the primary mode of output. And I feel in, you know, she might, you know, Carly loves Badlands, you know, because right. Badlands atta- uh, tackles the sort of. It has a more cohesive narrative. Bonnie, yeah, and, and it tackles the Bonnie and Clyde narrative in mm-hmm. a very way of, you know, looking at teen rebellion and right. that's sort of crazy, you know, the insanity that comes with young love and stuff like that. Like, those are all contexts, you know, that she understands she gets, but I think Tree of Life operates on such a metaphorical level and that it, that if you don't view it, you know, if you're not ready to view movies as such, then it's just not going to do it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I don't think Carly is very religious. Um, I'm sure being a boy helps just because I'm I sure think it does. I'm not saying I that you, seen... I'm not saying that a woman won't connect with right. this movie. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not trying to be like too, uh, I don't want to generalize. I've connected with a great number of movies that are about what it's like to be a woman. So oh, for like... sure. Yeah. No, I have too. So it's that, I don't think that's the issue, but no. I'm sure it. it I, that is a diff, that is an interesting point that I haven't really thought about, and I'm sure it does help. Yeah, because we don't really get like uh, you know a, a female perspective other than the mother, and who, she's who kind is of not in the realistic. She is she's an angel, right? She's portrayed as an angel. She is the personification of grace. She's not a real human character, mm-hmm. and I've heard people complain that there are no female characters who are really. Like real and human, I think like that one char- the character sort of one human moment is when Brad Pitt sort of freaks out at the dinner table and she's worried about it. Yeah, I it's fine. It's right. It is a really I I I don't think that that's what the movie's about. Okay, so I don't think that's I don't think that movie is necessarily about masculinity. You know what I mean? No, I don't think the no, movie is about. Not growing up as a boy i think the movie is sort of about how we view memories and how we view our parents and i think the movie on another level is definitely about how we view god and i think 
I think this is a movie for nature. Hey, guy. Hey, listeners, do you have you know you like art movies and you have parents who are kind of square and they don't like art movies? Um, if those parents are religious, go ahead and you know prepare them for the movie and sort of maybe give them a primer on sort of the themes being tackled. If they, if they're really deeply religious, like my dad does not watch art movies. My dad doesn't really like movies at all. But I feel you know like Uncle Boone me. Like this is almost a meditation. Thought you were going to say Uncle Buck. I was worried. <laughs> you know, this is a deeper, deeply religious movie. Like you know, Uncle Buck was about Jesus Christ because John Candy is Jesus. Christ. Like when he flipped the pancake, yeah, with the shovel. Remember, do you remember that part where that was a metaphor uh, Macaulay, for God? Do you remember when Macaulay Culkin he was like keeping Jesus Christ outside of in the door? <laughs> Isn't that what we all do with Jesus? You know, we question him. We ask so many questions instead of just letting him in, even though he would improve mm-hmm. our life. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, this is an art movie that is probably impervious for many people. But I think – and I and I, I think a lot of people who are super into film are kind of the same people who are not going to be religious, you know, just because it's sort of an intellectual kind of thing. <laughs> I realize that I'm being very condescending and sort of almost mean-spirited towards people who are religious. But, uh, you know, if you're religious, you're not intellectual because you're dumb. But no, what I'm saying yeah. is if you're religious – you know, or if you know someone who's religious, you know, if if you prepare them the right way, they will like this movie. And I think there's a there's a great video of a priest. He'll analyze movies from a Catholic perspective. Oh, I need to see this. You mentioned this before. Uh, and he sort of – and because he understood what the opening quote uh, – because the opening quote of the film is from Job, Job. And he understood the context of the opening quote, which I didn't because I don't know the book of Job mm. from the back, the back of my hand. Like he – Presented the film in a different context, which is I found fascinating. So I, we'll put up a link up to this video. Uh, Tree of Life's great. It's a fucking amazing movie. I concur. Yeah. I want to get to my number one so I can give you the floor. Yeah, Because I ahead. figure um, I can go off for just a little minute, a minute here. And we're at the two hour and 15 minute mark and we got a lot to get to still. Yeah. It's an so epic. It is. Epic. It is for sure. And it's between the two of us. Just the two of us. Yeah. So um, I want to give you the floor in a minute um, after I reveal my number one because uh, it was mentioned earlier. Oh, nice drum roll. We Patrick. bought a zoo. <laughs> Why do you keep saying we bought a zoo? Because I like saying that title. It's a I funny know. title. But if you you, you got to say it like the little girl. We bought a zoo. She says it like three times in that Does movie. She? Yeah. She didn't bother watching that shit. I know. It's Cameron Crowe. <laughs> okay. My number one, Meeks Cut Off. Um, yes. Tell uh, me what- Only Scott Tobias, I think, agrees with me. <laughs> that it's the best movie of the year? That it's the best movie of the year. I, it's been a lot of top ten lists, though. Oh, it's it has. It's it has. It's widely it, beloved. It better on, be on your top ten list. It's widely beloved on many mm-hmm. intellectuals. If you're if you're dumb and you... <laughs> you know what's funny? What do you like about it? Um, What's funny? We take for... You know what? I can go into your bathroom right now yeah. and get myself a cup of tap water. Yeah, that's you know? so true. It's right there. It is. It's anywhere. I, 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 I can go to a water fountain at any time. I can get water whenever I want. Any gas station you pass? Yeah. Look at I got I, I drink bottled water like a motherfucker. Right. You know? And uh, the idea, like me placing myself in the position of somebody who can't even get water... Like who can't quench their thirst is like to like the movie. Like a lot of people say, oh, it's so slow. 
I found it suspenseful. I found this movie to be really um, anxiety-inducing, especially with just uh, like fuck Fast and the Furious Five. You want you want a moment of pure suspense and almost like an action movie proportion. Them trying to get a wagon down a, a, a hill. Yeah. That is fucking terrifying. It's like Fitzcarraldo level of it is, fucking achievement. Yeah. But unlike Fitzcarraldo, it's it's like the most ordinary thing. I like, know, that's but that's what, what I love about it. They, yes. make, they make something extraordinary out of something ordinary. It is a Herculean achievement yes. to fucking transport what they're... Fucking A. And it's gorgeously shot. Yes. It's... Like I said, it has this sense of like impending doom with every choice. Especially once you begin to realize what it's about. I think I bet if I watched it again, I'd feel impending doom the whole time. Sure, but uh, but, 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 but 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 it's also about learning to look outside your own instincts. Yeah, even a character like Meek, who everybody wants to follow, wants to believe in, because he's got a certain confidence and old weariness about him, and. But his close-mindedness and his reservations about trusting the Indian, it's weird because at the same time he f- seems stubborn but very pragmatic. Like, I completely understand why, I mean, especially during that time, while he would say the things he says and have reservations about embracing what, you know, like following him. But why not? And Michelle Williams, you know, her character just, I don't think she really has... She doesn't have an answer whether the Indian is going to lead them to the water or not. And that's what I like about this movie is like, even in the end, why do you need the answer? I mean, just go for it. Just trust it. I mean, I I think that a movie is very brave to let the audience decide on how the movie truly ends. Um, I, I personally think that it's not too ambiguous and I don't want to give it away. I just genuinely think that there is uh, a certain resolution. There's a certain resolution because I think it is entirely 100 percent ambiguous. So I would be. Interested I don't know. To hear what you have to I say. I don't know. I don't. I don't honestly think that it's. I think that it's. It has a set resolution to it, although the audience is left to decide. I mean, I th- I know that that may be contradictory, but I'm just saying that this movie for me resonated very strongly especially after a third viewing. But also I think it helps to put in context if you – maybe this sort of um, had an influence on why this became my number one movie. But I watched Old Joy and then I watched Wendy and Lucy. Then I watched Meek's Cutoff. And I think Old Joy is about the intimacy between friends uh-huh. that may or may not lead to something more. Wendy and Lucy is about the intim- intimacy between an animal and the difficulty of letting go. And Meek's intimacy and Meek's <laughs> – Cutoff is the intimacy that we kind of have with our environment, with the very small communities we share. That's interesting. And that includes the outsiders that we may not understand at first. But to me, I didn't find this movie dull. I didn't find it uneventful. And and to me, I had a really good experience in a way that wasn't overwhelming. Like, I like the fact that I had a very low-key emotional response to this movie because most of the movies that make my number one are like this movie made me cry so hard yeah. or this movie like we bought a zoo yeah shut up <laughs> fuck 
that movie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go no, on. It's I, okay. mean, I don't want to interrupt your flow. No, I, I'm I'm pretty much I'm happy with what I've said. I think again, it gave me exactly what I wanted out of a movie. Um, it's a slow burn. I won't deny that. But I I think if you just again like Tree of Life, if you just go with it in the completely opposite way of Tree of Life, um, where it sort of just plays out in a very naturalistic setting, um, I don't know. I just th- there's something about this director I'm really gravitating towards. The writer he also wrote all the three movies. John Raymond. I've recently read his short stories. I don't know. There's something the minimalism, the simplicity of there's his writing. Well, there's something you said about like about going against your instincts that I find very you know that I I I didn't I never actually put into words, but I find very true and and very captivating about the film, which is. Um, your instinct as a viewer, as far as I mean, maybe it's just my. I don't want. Maybe I don't want to be too presumptuous. My instinct as a viewer, as a as a liberal, as a you know, as someone mm-hmm. who knows how these kinds of films work, was Meek is the problem, but the Indian is telling the truth. You know, but when it is put <laughs> in a context of absolute survival, mm-hmm. like. Live or die in the worst way, which is dehydration. Just right. fucking die of dehydration. And you don't know who to trust and you're trying to look back at all the facts and there's no there's no, no there's no answer. answer. There's no certainty. Like that is a really interesting thing that the movie does and it is Yeah. And it doesn't provide the easy answer. Although it, they are like they are literally uh you know, they, they are a week away from just becoming the Donner Party and eating each other. Like, <laughs> they are instincts and survival taken to the absolute extreme that mm-hmm. this film and it's and the idea that, you know, Michelle Williams character is is trying to still be, you know, intellectual and have, you know, not to not to frame it in the way of tree life, but to have to have grace versus nurture and to still yeah. to have trust. And like what it, what the fuck does trust mean in that situation when you it can, uh, you know, it can equal everyone living or dying like I loved her response. I related to her character, especially how she's willing to just why not? Yeah, let's trust this guy and see what happens. Maybe we will and die. Did you know that it's based off a true story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not realize. That. I th- I don't know. I think that this director and writer together have made some of the best films I've seen in years, and I I'm willing to go to bat for all three of her movies. So I have far. not seen I have not seen Wendy and Lucy or Old Joy, so oh, I'm excited fuck, to see you them better. Both. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. That's my number one. Meeks cut off. Yeah. Now there, num- now this movie, I knew it was going to be your number one. Yeah. And I've grown to like it a lot more yeah. over time. Second uh, viewing, this is a movie I fought a lot of. A I bit. fought a lot of people on because I sincerely believe it's the best movie of the year. Uh, this is Martha Marcy May Marlene. Um, I've heard a lot of complaints, and they all seem to be missing the point of the film. This is a horror film. This is, and this is the a psychological horror. This film. is n- not just psychological. This is the scariest kind of horror film in my in my own opinion, which is the existential horror film. It is about a it is about a girl played by Emily Olsen who escapes a cult. Elizabeth Olsen. Elizabeth Olsen. Mm-hmm. Is it Elizabeth, not Emily? Yes, it's All Elizabeth. right. Who's Emily Olsen? I don't know. That has to be someone. Maybe I went to school with an Emily Olsen. <laughs> Elizabeth Olsen, who escapes a cult, uh, calls, contacts her her older sister, um, goes to live with her, and is basically trying to deprogram herself. And throughout the film, we see flashbacks of the cult and her real life, and 
it is a movie about identity and how mutable and how you know how easy it is to be mutated and transformed and how manipulated yeah manipulated and basically what the film posits is that human beings are just blank slates that can be programmed and it is a horrifying movie in that regard because it's a it's 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 one one of my and i want to say it is a personal film in that my deepest fear are these sort of existential questions of what the fuck is identity or what is me? Like what what I call me? What is me? Is that you know what what? How much control over do I have of me? I you know I suffer from depression. You know we've talked about melancholia a little bit, and um, there are moments of melancholia I found very true, but I found them even more profound and true in Martha Marcy May Marlene, in which she is hundred percent unable to connect to her sister. Because there's something in her brain that is broken and that will not allow her to connect to her. And that is how I have felt. There is something in me, you know, in having this kind of severe depression and not wanting to share it with my family and not wanting to burden them and not not even being sure if it's worth talking about, not even knowing what the significance is and not knowing, am I upset because my life is really this shitty or am I upset because – I have a chemical imbalance that makes me think that my life is this shitty. Um, not being able to trust yourself and not knowing what to do about it is what this movie is all about. And it is a profoundly scary movie in that regard. Um, and because these are things that I deal with all the time you know, in my life, this is a movie that you know, gave me a panic attack and it, it fucking terrified me. And it's so – and that it's able to – do something where the past is intruding on the present um, and it's able to have the, you know, present these ideas and sort of the same way a separation, you know, is able to do such complex things, but present them in a way that never feels forced. Mm -hmm. This film is completely naturalistic. It's not heightened. It's not a, there's no screeches. There's no melodrama. um, And, but maybe the dinner scene a little bit between, her and the uh, husband. I don't think that's Mel. I don't think so at all. Okay. Um. I and you and the more I think about it, the more the better it is, and you get a glimpse of you know she's in this cult. What brought her to that cult? She was fucked up to begin with. Well, how'd she get fucked up to begin with? Because she was programmed by a bad mother. Again, what is personality other than you know mm. the you know the accumulated result of all the circumstances that you've done to. And and when she's at her sister's house, she's not Martha, which is her actual name. She's not Marcy May, which is the name she was rechristened at at the cult. And she's not Marlene, which is the name that she was rechristened as um, after she had an episode there. Like she's nothing. She is with – she's completely blank and it is a fascinating performance that she's able to be that kind of blank but still you know, provoke empathy and – the details of the cult while not being the focus of the movie. And I think this is what threw a lot of people off because the trailer, um, also the trail, there's partly because of the trailer. Cause I think the trailer made it look like it was a movie about a cult. And also I think the fault, that's of, exactly what I thought. It was. Yeah. And also the fault of the fact that, um, the cult is just the, the subject matter of being in a cult is more sensational than, than the subject matter of identity. <laughs> So people mm. are going to be more easily drawn to that. Um, but all the details of the cult, that scene where John Hawks is playing that song on the guitar and you see her 
and you not only see, but because of the way the film, the way it's shot, and because of, I don't know if that's an, a pre-written song or if they wrote that song for the movie. Uh, I should look that up. But because of just how powerful that song is and how captivating he, uh, you know, and charismatic an actor he is, you s- witness the programming happening. You know, you see why and. It And she can't bring herself to ask for help because she doesn't know what she's asking for help for. And she can't and, – and her sister isn't prepared to take that extra step and help her because her sister came from the same mother. Which and, is the thing, the thing that kind of annoyed me about it initially and I was think just the sister's response now, I or, think, or just her being so uh, enigmatic about what she'd been through. Like – not being forthcoming about what she's been through to her own family. I, and again, I, I I can understand people not relating, but as someone who has depression and who has had very dark Oh, I know. It's something thoughts, you don't want to reveal I, to everybody. How much have about, you know, suicidal thoughts you've had and how much about, you know, horrible things you've done have you told your mother? Right. Or have you told – Or your sister. Well, or any loved one right. that is the only – I mean at that point, her sister is – she's closer to and a mother has figure. more trust to than mother right. – than her mother. And her sister isn't prepared to take that extra step and grab her and shake her and say, what happened until that very end? But it, That's how I'd be. I'd at least sit her down and – you know. Yeah, that's how you would be. I know, but that's just my own bias. But that's why there's that scene where they're talking about how horrible their mother was and you see that she has become a very – person who's interested in material things you know just like her husband and her husband's very set in his ways and there's nothing that you know martha marcy may marlene (laughs) you know there's nothing that she says at that dinner scene that that necessarily is a really biting you know Mm -hmm. sort of condemnation of his lifestyle it's it's very much she's spouting out what she's been programmed and i think a lot of people mistake the film as equating the cult and sort of the bourgeois life but i but that's not the case at all and you, that's interesting yeah I, I don't think that's the case at all though i don't mm-hmm. i because i think this is a movie you can maybe argue different interpretations of no i understand that you i know i, I mean just, somebody I think might that interpretation have a is not as valid because i don't sure I, and again i can't really say why without spoiling it but the way that the life and the cult slips into darker and darker places and the way mm-hmm. you sort of understand exactly who john hawks is playing uh there you know and i i want to say who he actually he actually kind of a famous figure in history he kind of looks like you know well yeah that's true and which and the way it goes those places and the way like it is i mean number one I've never seen the issues of identity like that presented in such a vivid way. Number two, such an interesting way. The cult, you know, the way bright cult brainwashing works and the minutia of the cult is a lot more watchable than just uh, any kind of wom- movie about, say, a woman and who's it's having not existential crisis. No. You know? And that's the thing and, that you expect from a movie that's tackling cults. Yeah. But it isn't about that either. So it isn't you about shouldn't cult. expect cults that. Cults are a method – to explore the actual themes, which again are that identity. I think the movie, and it's not, I think the it's movie not is too about... intellectual. It like somehow it does it makes a purely philosophical kind of question and it makes it visceral and mm. it makes it frightening. And that's that to me is insanely impressive. And I think the movie is beautifully shot. And that is. I think the performances are incredible. Like everything about this movie astounds and frightens me. And people I, 
Patrick will sell you on this movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's no because doubt there in my mind. there are a lot of people who, who misunderstand it and don't like it, and they frustrate me so much because as I far will, as I'm concerned, it's clearly the best movie of the year. I will say that it was at a B- minus for a while until I saw it a second time, and now it's at an A-. minus. Yeah. So I almost wonder if a third viewing will push it up in my top ten or not because uh it's something that I had to sit with because it's a movie that I had preconceived uh notions about uh-huh. that sort of clouded my interpretation um the ending had a different effect i mean the second the ending, time the ending freaked me out so um, much yeah i want to look at it as a movie about control about um i w- i don't want to say man because that's sort of being uh again Sexist, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, just I, w- I don't want to say like cults or John Hawk's character in particular, but how people have, um, whether if it's a conscious act or not, a tendency to want to control or dominate the other person when their identity is not completely formed, or if it's been shattered, or if it's been manipulated, they feel like this person is vulnerable, so I can shaped them into a certain way. I'm not saying that the sister does that maybe in a scene with like makeup, but I don't think it really suggests that the sister is wanting, I want you to become something, but there are moments where, you know, the Martha Marcy may has, does some really questionable things to where the sister is like, why are you like this? And, you know, you can sort of perceive that as a way of her dealing with her strange behavior, but I was looking at it, especially with John Ho- John Hawks's character, is just being a. He just wants to dominate and control her because she, he knows that there's this vulnerable vulnerability that she has, and plus he I, takes you advantage don't, of you it. You don't arrive at that ranch unless there's a vulnerability there. Well, yeah. And one that, of the other things that and I he like sings that... this song while everybody, all the, like Brady Corbett's character, just plays an instrumental. Yeah. And I think there's some weird contrast going on with John Hawks being able to woo people with this music too while everybody else is sort of in the background well, and to I mean, me like i was always complaining the cult people aren't all fully realized right. but that's a, that's part of the story that's missing the point yeah, right yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 what i what, the saddest thing about it is at the end she gives up at the end she you know at the end she surrenders whatever the next place where are, where I wanted to see at, that next place. Well, but at the end of the movie, you know what's going to happen because it's the same thing that's happened at every other location. It's just her being brainwashed a different way. And at that point, the question is, well, what is real? What is self? What is personality? What is, what is that if <laughs> if all we are is peop- are discs that can be fucking rebooted well, and, and erased and then put different things on them? Like, but the rational – sort of psychotherapist in me wants to have the optimistic view well, that she's going to go get help that she's going to get I mean maybe she's going to get brainwashed into you know into a way like oh psychotherapy I, is brainwashing it's brainwashing into a health it's brainwashing into hell, healthy okay that's a good is, thing that's it, a no I'm not saying it's a bad thing I'm saying that that perspective that it is brainwashing is frightening okay it's and you. I think it's a good thing. I've been in therapy and it has helped me immensely. But what they are doing is reprogramming your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen Tobolowski in another podcast dis- dismissed the ending of this movie because it deprives the audience of a third act. 
Um, that was my first response. And upon a second response, I have a completely different reaction to it. I, I can't – this movie feels very much like one one story to me. I can't divide it easily into acts, especially the way it goes back and forth time. The other thing I hate is people are like, oh, it's going back and forth in time. I've seen that before. Like I have. Oh, everyone's seen that before, but that's not a reason to dismiss a movie because one aspect, like one unimportant, by the way, not the point of the movie aspect of it, like everything else about this movie is fucking shocking and new and like name one other movie that tackles these themes in this way, in this sort of But there are a lot of people way. who maybe not picked up on yeah. that. Yeah, well, that's my point. That's my and, point. And hopefully this will sell people on checking it out. Oh, my God. Um, Because I think it's... We're seeing. I think it gets better upon multiple viewings, and I'm very curious to revisit this maybe once a year or something just to see where I am and how I feel about it because I was conflicted about it, and I was more middle of the road on it. Um, It's not in my top ten, but it's way up there in terms of significant movies of 2011, I think. Because of the dialogue it's created amongst people, I think it's really an important movie. Let's talk about other movies... Honorable um, mentions. Yes, because it was a great fucking year. I movies. really sincerely believe that. And now, granted, if if you don't live in a major city in which you're able to easily see art house mm-hmm. movies, or you know, you know, you're only going to know it's a great year in retrospect once all the DVDs and stuff come out. Because it was not a great year for Hollywood. Not really. No, you're right. Definitely. So I understand certain people, you know, in certain places. Who did? I mean, I didn't get a chance to see the artist. I understand the idea that you want to see a movie, but you don't get to see it. There, are, I've seen people say that it was a disappointing year, and I understand that. But if you once you actually see all the great movies that came out this year, I think you'll change your tune. Uh, one of my honorable mentions: The Adjustment Bureau. Uh, really underrated movie. Not uh, the best ending. No, no. The entire third act betrays. It, but I think the first two acts are so strong, and we talked I about this, I, I believe, on the last podcast. Yeah, on the last official episode of the podcast. But Sorry basically, everything about the movie, in which once you, when you can view the Adjustment Bureau as just a metaphor for the way we think about relationships, it make it's perfect. And um, actually, I have we've we've come up with some different awards. I'm going to give an award right now to Adjustment Bureau. Oh, cool! Yeah, um, my award for the Adjustment Bureau is called. Oh, that's what chemistry looks like because mm. I think uh, I think pretty much every romantic comedy – like there used to be a time when big stars would be in big romantic comedies and they would be great together. I will say that Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling in Crazy Stupid Love, great chemistry. Okay, I didn't see that so great I can't chemistry. say anything about it. But like I think Matt Damon – I don't even know the actress's name. Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt. Um, is, I'd like to smoke so- that blunt. Okay, thank I don't you. Know what th- I don't know what that means. Um, that, that's 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 a uh, it's sort of a mini cigar that you fill that you cut uh, out you cut and you take okay. the tobacco out you put marijuana in you roll it back up and then you smoke it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Can I just put Emily in there? Yeah, you okay. can. You cool. can smoke a human being. Great. Yeah. Like there's they have such a great and easy chemistry that it's so great to watch and it's so fun to watch. I love I love watching them together. I love sort of that morning after they first have sex and then it's not like awkward typical it's like the easy chemistry they have and oh it's beautiful uh matt damon i think is really underrated in this regard he had where, a good year 
Well, no, he's had a good year, but also I think I mean I think he's really good in Contagion, mm-hmm. which I think is a really good movie. Didn't make my honorable mentions even, which is how good the year was. Um, but like I think remember remember Matt Damon and Departed with him with Vera. Uh, Flamenga, like that first date he had with her, and how fucking charming, and how how like how fun he was with her. Like right, I think right. Matt Damon is really good with having a great rapport with with women yeah. <laughs> and actresses. I think it, I think uh, I think he did good in Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, I mean it's not that's a great right. Movie. That date, that date, that with, date uh, scene, Mini Driver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Goodwill Hunting, it was great. I think. Yeah. I mean, maybe Matt Damon is just a. We should all go on dates with Matt Damon. Yeah. I would not mind that. Okay. That guy. Break me off a piece of that. Yeah. That guy kind of just my, my bureau. bureau. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. The bureau meaning your so penis. So what's, what's that one of your honorable mentions? Here's here's where Patrick's going to make a, a, a sound of some kind. Maybe. Melancholia was number <sighs> 11 on my list. That's not a bad movie. I know. I think it's really good. Yeah. Um, maybe some of your rationale behind the first act um, First is, is, is valid. Yeah, yeah. I, I I can agree. Despite thinking, I don't think a movie like this is meant to be looked at in a logical viewpoint. I think it's more or less about your emotional response. I think if you I identify feel, with it, I feel like the intensely realistic depiction of depression um, counters that. Okay. Um, also, uh, now that we're talking about melancholia, can I give an award to this? Uh oh. What can it be now? Um, this award is the No Offense Jim, But You're Crazy Award. Hmm. Um, now, this is an award I plan on giving every year. Uh, we do, we do this Because <laughs> there's at least one reason. Yeah, where year. I just intensely disagree with Jim. And this I don't think was even covered on the podcast. But Jim, in one of our discussions, maintains that melancholia is not metaphorical and not allegorical film. That it is meant to be taken at face value. To which I say, no offense, Jim, but you're fucking crazy. Okay. It is a movie about a fucking planet that is crashing into Earth, and the planet is called Melancholia. And it is and it is by Lars von Trier, the man who pretty much entirely makes films that are supposed to be metaphorical and allegorical. Uh, the man who made Antichrist and didn't even give characters to the name – didn't even give names to the characters of the man and the woman. The man who made fucking Dogville, for Christ's sakes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, this is mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. allegory for depression. Mm-hmm. And this is actually one of the other problems. So I the have planet with... crashing into Earth, and the way is that depression crashing into this person, these people's lives, and and the way that Kirsten their Dunst is is bathing in the light of depression, and yes, all of these things are and wallowing it. Yes, this is a fucking allegory. If you look at this as a literal movie, then it is the dumbest, silliest thing. I don't know how you do it, but. This is what you, you haven't think. seen another Earth, my friend. You don't know what dumb is. Okay. <laughs> I'm telling you that movie. Oh God, another Earth. Another Earth All right, is so cold. Uh, is uh, more specifically for Jim. That's okay. That's okay. okay. So uh, that's. I still think it's great, and, and you don't wonderful. think it's a metaphor. No, I don't. Okay. Just, right. just, just go with this movie, man. You Go feel ahead. it. Uh, Let, my, you know. my next honorable mention is Hannah, which we talked about. Good deal. I think it's great. What's your next honorable mention? Young Adult, which is a movie that surprised me. Like even the first when I walked out of it, I texted you or something about like I don't know about that final scene or that close to the end scene with the uh, which the is actually table. my favorite part of the movie. Um, I in retrospect, I sort of uh, I think maybe I had a, a really weird response to it because I related to it or something. Like it's like oh. 
I don't know. Like, I don't know how I felt about that interaction when I first saw it because it felt like it came Which out is, of nowhere. It's hard to talk about without without yeah, spoiling. I know, anything, but we're not. But let's spoil just say anything. that Charlize Theron is fucking amazing, and I've always hated her. Yeah. Um, except on Arrested Development, and Pat Oswalt is great. Um, another movie that kind of made me feel uncomfortable in all the right ways. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd say that scene with uh, you know Patrick Wilson giving his wife the drums is one of the most uh, uncomfortable moments I've had in a movie. And, and I think um, it's, it's another great portrayal of somebody who doesn't know how to grow up or at least is struggling in a way that I felt was very genuine. You know what, the, you know what my favorite scene of that is? Hmm. It's the scene with the parents. Oh yeah. Instead of yeah, a, yeah, yeah, instead yeah. of like yet another scene where she's like treating people badly and it's like, well, can you and like the obvious way to go would be her she's even treating her parents badly. Instead, you see mm. exactly why she is the way she is cuz her parents are ignoring the fact that yep. she's an alcoholic and that she's fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Um and that they're not willing to address it. I think that's a wonderful scene. I like that Diablo Cody creates characters and I think this movie had a lot of places um, that it could have been bigger, gone bigger, and I think it's almost a little anticlimactic because because it didn't go bigger. But I respect that she doesn't betray the characters in order to go to those places. Right. Um, honestly, I had, I had a lot of empathy for this character I despite thought, her being kind I, of a bitch. I thought Charlize Theron was going to steal the baby or something like that. Oh wow! I thought it was something with the baby was going to happen. No, and I don't think it needed to go there at no, all to it be didn't. an effective movie. I just I think it's a little too low key for me to be one of my favorites. I definitely think it was a very good movie, and I like low key. Yeah. Um, my next one is Uncle Boon Me. Who can recall his past lives? Yeah, that'd be my top twenty five. I don't know how to say anything about this movie. This movie is like waking up from a really nice nap, in which it is it, it is it is a film about a man who owns a sort of farm who is dying of. <laughs> Kidney, it's a what? They're, they're, I don't know. I mean, just like I feel like describing this yeah. movie is it, it's it, it's really hard, it's really difficult. I don't know where to begin. I don't know how to like, oh, I love it. Okay, I really okay. do. So, anyway, he's dying of kid, okay, he's dying of kidney failure, and basically, right. the sort of one of the thing, one of the aspects of this film is that the sort of boundaries between the spirit world and the real world are disappeared. And the way it, but the way it shows ghosts and the way it shows the other world is so unique and so fucking strange and mm-hmm. wonderful that it, it, you know, it made me understand. Sort of, you know, I, I actually, I really like anime aesthetically, but I think. A lot of Eastern sort of philosophy and a lot of like Buddhism, you know, sort of Buddhist inspired philosophy and stuff like that just baffles me. Like I can't wrap my mind around it. And I think I understand Buddhism and stuff more after watching this movie than anything. It's odd, but it, and it's and it it's hard to wrap your mind around, but it's never feels pretentious and it's always very pleasant and every shot is beautiful and it's very slow and almost dream yeah, dreamlike, but not in. There's there's sort of interstitial moments where you don't know if this is supposed to be his his past life because it's called Uncle Boomy, who can recall his past lives, but mm-hmm. no ev- no mention of him remembering his past lives is ever made. But so at so at one point you're trying to like, oh, is this one of his past lives? And then you're trying to figure out which character he was in a past life. Like it is, yeah, it's just like 
it, it's it's on Netflix Instant. It's wonderful. I completely agree, and it's again, it's one of those perplexing experiences that I found intoxicating. Yeah. Um, and it has a catfish giving oral sex to somebody at yeah, one point. Yeah, to a to a disfigured princess. Yeah. <laughs> so if that appeal if that appeals to you, jump right in. Go for it, man. Because I, I I ate it up. I thought it was cool. Yeah. Um, you know who ate it up? The catfish. Yeah. He did. Oh well, yeah. Well, what's your next honorable mention? The Interrupters, which is my favorite documentary of the year by Steve James, who did gave us Hoop Dreams. I heard about this. No other movie like made me feel like becoming a social worker than this movie. I mean, good lord. Uh, th- there's one character in particular named Amina Matthews who's been profiled a lot uh, recently. I mean, there's a, an obvious Chicago connection to this movie um, because uh, a lot of the people you know, are from Chicago and they sort of go around and try to intervene with uh, gang members and try to talk them out of being violent in a way that you know, has these um, incredibly good intentions. Um, Like in some situations when they try to intervene, it seems completely rational. It helps. It's beneficial. But then there are other moments where it's incredibly dangerous and futile because there's no way you're going to alleviate what's going on. Right. Um, So it's, and it portrays like a lot of the areas in Chicago as kind of a, Kind of a war zone of violence Which that's impulsive, are. yeah. And uh, I don't know; it, it really affected me. I mean, we're like, there's uh, one point where uh, Matthews, you know, who has taken a bullet herself, says that sometimes words can get you killed. And everybody thinks, oh, well, why not just talk out your problems, man? There are some people who just don't have that mentality, right. and this movie captures the good side. And the downside to being, you know, an interrupter, a, a person who has these, you know, incredible intentions to help people, but also deal with the reality that it's not always going to work. I was completely riveted by this movie, and I hope people check it out. There's actually like a three-hour cut that exists out oh, really? there of this somewhere. I, I know that was the original length. Um, I only saw the two-hour version and uh, I don't know. I think Steve James is a really good filmmaker. He he made Stevie and Hoop Dreams. Um, this is this was a great film. Everybody should. Uh, it comes out I think in February. So check uh-huh. it out. Um, my next one is Hobo with a Shotgun, which is probably the um, first movie of mine that you out that you probably just do not like at all. I think it's okay. Oh. I don't think it's anything spectacular. I I it's one of those movies I felt kind of desensitized as it went along. I didn't really. I definitely liked it more than Machete, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I don't know if that's faint praise or it what. Felt, it is a little bit damning with faint praise, but uh, I'm, I'm trying to find because there's – I think it's one of the funniest movies of the I year. think that those two guys with the sunglasses, the brothers or whatever, that kind of drove me nuts. I think they're so funny. Yeah. Uh, I like the fact that the main character – I love Rutger Howard. I though. love the fact that the main character in this movie is literally insane and at no point – is he even really lucid? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. he is out of his mind the entire movie. No, that's true. That's true. I definitely, I had fun with it. But if if you're going to put I, it in an exploitation, you know, movie like, I'm going to watch Black Diamond. Yeah, you like Black Diamond. I, yeah. I, I, I got to rewatch that because the first time I saw it, I got a little too bored. 
I, uh, but I want to try that again. Um, no, I fucking love Hobo with the Shotgun, and it's, yeah, it's all right. It's and fun. its color schemes, and its inventiveness, uh, and and that fucking weird, fucking crazy goddamn monologue that Rucker Hauer gives to these newborn children. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he calls, says they're all going to be drug dealers and whores. Yeah. Oh God, it's so weird and funny. I can't imagine how great that would have been to see in like a packed audience. Mm. I, I really like Hobo with the Shotgun. Uh, that was in my top ten for a long time. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's go to the complete opposite of that with a movie called Weekend, which everybody should uh, give a watch. It's on Netflix Instant. Um, it's kind of like this working class British dramedy of sorts. Um, it's about a, a, a shy, reserved um, gay man who has this two-day affair with someone who could be Mr. Right for him. But um, unfortunately, this guy is set to leave for America and might not come back at all. Uh, Again, like certified copy, it's really about how um, people interact with each other. And it does have a before sunset feel to it where it's um, idealistically romantic, but also realistically um, apprehensive about, pursuing a relationship between these two characters because you don't you obviously have an awareness that it may not work out and one of them's leaving so is there any reason to keep trying to have the it's it's a movie about connection within a short period of time and much like lost in translation or something i love movies about that about people who just develop into something really special in a very brief amount of time this is one of those movies that I was going to go see at the music box and mm-hmm. something happened at the last moment that prevented me from going. This is a very romantic movie that felt yeah. very familiar and honest with people that are very identifiable. And again, if you have a character that's kind of an introvert who's dealing with other extroverts, including somebody that they're attracted to, being very um, like kind of intense in a good way. Right. You know, I like that. I like that dynamic a lot. And this is a great mm-hmm. film. Check it out. It's on Netflix Instant. Uh, my num- my last honorable mention uh, is Attack the Block. Good choice. I really like Attack the Block. I think it's a lot of fun. I don't think it's sort of the masterpiece that a lot of people are really loving. But I, I wish don't think I could have rewatched it again. But I, I, I think that there are a lot of people who don't like the movie who are maybe just responding to the fact that the main characters are juvenile delinquents. Uh, <laughs> That's kind of dismissive. I do. I really. I. I don't mean to be so dismissive of other people's opinions, but I. I feel like a lot of people are like, "Well, all those characters were unlikable," and I'm like, "Why? Because they're mugging someone." Like, I, I. I wonder what those people think about movies like The Four Hundred Blows. Like, I feel <laughs> like those kinds of characters are more interesting. You know, sure. I don't. I don't think Ray Liotta in Goodfellas is quote unquote likable as a person. But he's fascinating to watch, and the same with these characters, you know? Just because, you know, and the fact that it makes them come to terms with the fact, like, this person we see them mugging isn't someone who's just dismissed and is never seen again. Like, mm-hmm. like we. The have, main guy is really fucking good. No, he's really good. I, apparently, he's going to be in some kind of HBO miniseries about Mike Tyson. Oh, wow. Um, which will be playing. Huh. Uh, Mike Tyson. <laughs> he no, he's really good. I like the dialogue. I really like all of the characters. A lot of people said, "Oh, they're interchangeable." I don't think that's true at all. I think they're very vivid characters. Definitely. I, I like how immediately they take to killing aliens. I think the action scenes are fun. Uh it does get the a l- inventive creature design. Really yeah, yeah. Good. 
Yeah, which is uh, probably one of the best ways ever that I've seen to deal with a low budget uh, mm-hmm. is to just, well, let's not worry about rendering any details. Yeah. <laughs> let's just make a pure black. Uh, I mean, it does Good get a choice. little repetitive again, but I like I like yeah. Attack the Block a lot. Definitely. Uh, my last honorable mention is a movie that people have been kind of dismissive about. It has made some lists, but I don't know. I, I fucking love it. We bought it Dis- too. No. Despite... <laughs> Despite the fact that I realize that there probably is a much better movie to be made about Freud versus uh, Carl Jung, and that is uh, David Cronenberg's A Dangerous Method, which is a movie, I will admit, it's the least Cronenbergian film he's ever made, maybe. uh, Maybe since M. Butterfly. And I don't think it's going to be in the top tier Cronenberg, you know, once we look back at him as a you know, his entire dis, uh, filmography, but I don't know, man, I was with this thing for the whole 90 minutes. I love the acting. I love the story. Psych major. Psych major. <laughs> that has a major influence on why I love this movie, but it's also just their conversations. I think that they, the things that these two characters share with one another is really fucking fun. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, and you know, if you like Viggo Mortensen and Michael Fassbender, you're gonna like the you're gonna like watching them on screen together. I will say this: there needs to be more of them interacting because it focuses on the love story between um, Karen Knightley and Michael Fassbender more. Uh-huh. How kinky is it? Not kinky. Not very kinky. Really? There, I was Patrick. Kind of, there I was is only one for- shot of blood or. Semen or I anything. Was looking, I was looking forward to a realistic depiction of S and M. That's what I thought was going to happen, just no, from the sort no, of what sir. was hinted at the trailer. No, and maybe that's why people are disappointed because they yeah. see Cronenberg, they see Dangerous in the title, and then in the trailer they see her like sort of being tied up and she. There's a couple of scenes, but they're short. Yeah. It's not very kinky at all. It's like a Merchant Ivory movie. Really? Yeah, it's that very dry. Very it's very slow. I ate it up. And if people say, you know what, there is a much better movie to be made about this subject matter, I wouldn't argue. Um, Personal bias, I love Cronenberg. I love Fassbender. I love the subject matter. It's all good to me. Viggo Mortensen's not too shabby. He's he's not too shabby as either. You know what else who really liked this movie? Hmm. Ren Brown. Let's go ahead and go do uh, some of our other critics. Right, 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 right. right. And then we have to get to some of our subcategories because we're reaching the three-hour mark. Wow, okay. Some of our other friends in their top ten list. Ren Brown, number ten for him was A Dangerous Method. Good for him. Nice segue, Patrick. I'm proud of you. Yeah. Number nine was Harry Potter and the Deadly Hollows Part Two, which, like a lot of praise for Return of the King, is really a praise for the series. And I'm not big on Harry Potter, but from what I understand, it is one of the only sort of film series that does do justice to the book series and that they were – that – by all accounts, they're able to stick the landing is impressive and I worth praising in its own right. I had a lot of fun, and I really uh, I enjoyed the I Harry haven't Potters. watched I've, I, The last one I watched was and this Prisoner one was of Azkaban. Good. Which is the best one. Did Alfonso Cuaron direct any other ones? No. Yeah, I'll probably ignore him then. Uh, number eight for him was Bellflower. Oh, my fucking... Well, that's funny, because oh. uh, as part of the Chud, like, top ten, or at least he did top 15, but I'm only reading the top ten list, they, uh, they have other little cat things that they write about the movie, and then they do their potential pull quote, and his pull quote is, if you don't hate it, you'll probably love it. 
<laughs> so, so you yeah. hate it. You hate it. Oh yeah. I imagine oh, you didn't yeah. like. You find the characters unlikable or whatever. Uh huh. Yeah. That's the. I found it to be a misogynistic movie. I haven't seen it, so I couldn't comment. Number seven was Moneyball. Uh, which would be number seventeen on my list. Or yeah. Um, his number six was Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, second best title after Martha Marcy May Marlene. <laughs> I need to see it again when I'm not sleepy. Uh huh. Uh, number five for him was Drive, which of course is great. Number four was Attack the Block, which is mm-hmm. great. Uh, number three was Contagion, which I really do believe yeah. is almost underpraised. Like, that's how good this year was, that Contagion didn't get the love it deserved. I know, I almost feel guilty for leaving it off my list. Because I really liked it's just, it. There's so much other good stuff. Maybe it is better is than just... a dangerous method. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. But I still... I, I yeah. love the procedural aspect, the, de- the little details. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard people... Great score. I've heard people complain that it's very unrealistic, despite the fact that it portrays itself as very realistic, but I've also read the opposite, so whatever. Uh, Number two, we need to talk about Kevin. No, we don't. Which is, uh, can I give you, can I give another award right now? Please do. All right, my award for We Need to Talk About Kevin is the, yes, a single bad supporting performance Ken Sinka movie award. Uh. Ah. Because the performance of Kevin completely ruins it. Uh, the first 15 to 30 minutes, uh, everything with Tilda Swinton's perfect uh, and incredible. And We and talked it, about this yeah, in the last episode. Yeah, we talked episode. about this in the last episode. But, that, man, that performance just kills it. Uh, and it rends number one, which really surprised me. Haven't seen this really on anyone else's list. Warrior. Warrior! Yeah. Yeah. I, I Hold on. <laughs> there you go. How's that? <laughs> Warrior. We are drunk. Uh, Warrior. You know what? I liked Warrior. You did? Yeah. Maybe in the top 30. I'm just going to keep making my list. Like, that would make my top 62. Yeah. They're probably 63. Oh, shit. I forgot about, uh, you know. We bought a zoo. I forgot about We Bought a Zoo. I guess it's definitely 64 then. You know, speaking of which, uh, I want to read a list from uh, our great friend, Kurt Halfyard. Yes. If I can say his last name correctly, because I've heard it pronounced half yard. Half, by the way, but Kurt, I say half yard. Kurt, uh, one of my favorite people now. Yeah, one of my new favorite friends. Definitely making this from this doing this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. He's an intelligent guy, and uh, you know he'll he 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 is he comes up with some really good shit on his lists every year that I'm amazed by. And uh, there's a couple on here I have never even heard of, but I'm excited to see based on his uh, recommendations in the past. Number 10 on his list is Drive. Number 9 is Hannah. Number 8 is Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Number 7 is Project Nim, which I have seen and really liked a lot. Number 6 is Kotoko. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's Kotoko, mm-hmm. I'm assuming. Number 5 is Contagion. Yeah. Number 4 is Café de Flor, which is a I believe a Canadian film that hasn't come out in the U.S. Fucking Canadian. Number three is Melancholia. Bite me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> number two is We Need to Talk About Kevin. And number one is Tree of Life. Um, and on the flip side, really quickly, we have to read Matt Gamble's list because um, I, 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 I love this guy. I really do. I, mean, I, I love listening to him on row three so much. Uh, he is such a blast, and we loved having him on for the De Palma episode. Yeah. Uh, I very rarely agree with him, yeah. um, but he's got some interesting choices. Not Number really. 10 is Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which I have not seen. 
Heard but good I'm things. Look, yeah, me too. Number nine, the human centipede two. All right, so it's a horror themed, I guess. Maybe. You would think he would like De Palma more if he just wants cheap exploitation. Number Go eight. Ahead. Number eight is Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Number seven is Sherlock Holmes Game of Shadows. Really? All right. Number six is Drive. Okay. Number five is Buck, which huh. I really liked. Which one was Buck? The horse. Uh, the movie about the horse. The documentary about the horse whisperer. Oh. It's good. It's really good. It's about a guy who talks to horses? Yeah. I don't like horses. <laughs> Goodbye, horses. Yeah. Number four is I Saw the Devil, um, which I I do want to see eventually. Yep. Number three is Tabloid, which uh-huh. I loved. Number two is Rango. Uh-huh. And number one, 50-50. Really? Really, Matt Gamble? <laughs> Here you we go. Here we go. Matt Gamble called Tree of Life bourgeois bullshit, but apparently 50-50 uh... is the best movie of the year. Hey, Matt Gamble. No, I don't know. That's uh, that's a fine. We'll list, have him Matt. on again, and we can talk more about that. And very and very quickly, because we got you have another list you need to get to, don't you? From somebody from Chad? No, uh, who? Oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, we I want to get Mike to, Flynn and Rennie. Who else? Um, maybe not. Yeah, I think I have Brendan's email. That's okay. the thing. Um, Andrew, really yeah. quickly, very similar list. Although he's quite the Elma Dobar fan. Right. Number 10 is Drive. Yeah. Number 9 is The Descendants. Mm-hmm. Number 8 is Moneyball. Yeah. Number 7 is Beginners, which I'm not too crazy about, but I like. Number 6 is Incendies. Wait, real quick. What's Beginners about? Um, that's with Christopher Plummer coming out as a gay man who gets cancer to uh, Ewan McGregor. I'm not saying that the movie, that any movie is its... <sighs> it's pretty uh, good. It's pretty it's good. synopsis, but... Christopher Cummer as the gay man who comes out and gets cancer. Christopher Cummer. Oh, God. All right, go ahead. Um, I have problems with it. Mostly the love story was kind of bleh. Yeah. Um, but no I liked I, I I thought Christopher Plummer was great. Yeah, it's no weekend. Number six is Incendies. Uh-huh. Number five is a movie I hate, Another Earth. Uh-huh. Number four is 13 Assassins. Number three is 5050. Number two is Midnight in Paris, which we can talk about soon. And number one is The Skin I Live In, which would also be in my top 20. I loved it, that movie. I didn't get a chance to watch it. You'll like, I like it. I like Hamadovar. Yeah. Even when he's just being trashy and not yeah. necessarily reaching for that. Let's get to some of our subcategories before we wrap up uh, with a couple more lists. I want to talk about some of your uh, other um, – what, what other things that you have in terms of awards or All subcategories. Right, here, here's one. Uh, the 10 Minutes Too Long Award. Mm. Now, uh, there was a lot of fierce competition. Uh, number one, uh, my, you know, the, the runner-up, I would say, would be Scream 4. Because <laughs> Scream 4 has a great ending in which uh, um, it, it sort of mirrors the Scream 1 ending. Um, it's very visceral and very, like, weird to watch. And it could have been, like, one of the most bittersweet endings ever until they had to have, throw a traditional thriller climax on top of it and nah. fuck the whole thing up. But... The number one movie that is ruined by the last 10 minutes is Rubber. Rubber had the greatest, uh, one of the greatest endings of all time. Uh, I don't, really? It's, this isn't spoiling anything. I think it's hyperbole. Out of, out of context, this isn't, I really do believe this because it's so fucking funny. If uh, it cut to black immediately after, now he's a tricycle. Like that would be <laughs> one of the greatest endings ever because that is so fucking funny. 
And I think that movie is really funny. It's a little too intellectual and a little not – it's a little too shallow. It wears out its welcome for me. I, but I think it's an hysterical – I think it's definitely one of the funniest movies of the year. I don't remember you laughing hysterically through the whole I thing. Was, I was – well, it's 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 more of a – oh, I, I, I like golf clapped in my head. No, <laughs> I was laughing a lot. I think that movie's really funny. It's all right. I, I really, right. really think that movie's funny, but I think if that movie ended where it should have ended, it would have been great. I'm looking forward to his next movie because it looks like a fucking twisted David Lynch thing. Yeah. Ten minutes too long. Uh, rubber. Now, best country um, for popping out directors would be Iran. Yeah. Both the director of Certified Copy and the director of A Separation mm-hmm. uh, from Iran. Two amazing movies. Uh and uh, so, hey, way to go, Iran. I don't know what you guys are doing over there. Is the war over? <laughs> Keep up the unrest and fascism, Iran, is mm-hmm. I guess what I'm saying. Uh, okay, let's see. Oh, the Pandering to Film Fans Award. Oh, shit. Now, I, I, I sincerely believe Midnight in Paris is pandering because oh. I people who like to identify... Oh, look, I know that that's Django Reinhardt, or, oh, I know who Ernest Hemingway Louis is. Bunnell. I know who Bunnell. Louis Bunnell is, and I know that when the second Adrian Brody shows up, that's Salvador Dali. And it, 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 it throws nice, easy, you know, underhand pitches, and then when people are able to recognize them, they're, they feel good about themselves because it's not, because it's not, you know, just because it's not the first tier of pop culture celebrities. But I really think Midnight in Paris is a way overrated movie. It's and all of the its portrayals of famous people are SNL level. <laughs> I mean, SNL doesn't do famous people like Ernest Hemingway because it's it's not that uh, smart. But it's a fun, funny movie. No, I think it's very fun. I think it's very yeah. funny. I think it's a very. I think it's the best movie Woody Allen's done in years. But I don't. I think that's damning with faint praise. I would not put it anywhere near my top ten. I had a good yeah. time watching it. I had a good time watching it too. But people who I think people like, but that's just the runner up. Nostalgia. The number one, uh, pat yourself on the back, feel Here good, go. pandering to film fans list is Hugo. If- Sorry. I was, <laughs> I was gonna. You're gonna make me sound like I'm Star Chamber no, I ruling gonna, against. I, I was hum- hoping you'd Hugo say in the court. Hugo. Hugo. All right. Cool. Thanks. Hugo is a movie um, about the man who's the one man whose silent films everyone has seen. If this movie was about. Uh, uh, you know, if this movie was about Murnau or it was about um, Carl Dreyer or anything like that, no one would care so much. But because it's about the one guy uh, who everyone's seen Trip to the Moon, everyone's gone on YouTube and looked at it, they feel good about themselves. Number one. Number two, it portrays that guy <laughs> as a whiny asshole. Do you guys realize this? Mm. He has five years of unprecedented creative freedom and success. But after the war, people didn't like people didn't like fantasy anymore. So I locked my shit up and locked it away and never wanted to talk about it because I fell out of style. Like, it, it portrays Louis Malls. I can't pronounce his last name. Malaise? No, yeah, something like that. Malaise. It, 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 it portrays Malaise as just a whiny asshole. Malaise. It has the absolute number one most bullshit boilerplate daddy issues plastered on ever. My, his dad literally blows up. That's all I, you know. I, I would agree with that, and that's not something that I usually like. Yeah, and, and you are definitely a sucker for daddy issues. I'm and a big old softy. And, and even I'm you a didn't softy. give a shit. Even you didn't give a shit. And no. the story is dumb. And it's like, well, it's a love letter to film. You know what's a love I, letter I, to I, film? 
a love letter to film is making Make a, a good, good film. Movie. That's yeah. that is the best love letter to film. That's and 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 the actual film history part is only maybe twenty minutes of the film, and mm. the movie's two hours long, and the rest of it is boring bullshit, and the three D is just as ugly as every three D movie you've ever seen. And the worst part to me, like the Hugo kid, isn't that good or no, compelling. The story no. behind it, it's not that good. The automaton thing. Automaton's uh, dumb, but because everyone's like, "Oh, tri- I know that that image that the automaton drew is from Trip to the Moon." I, they pat themselves on the back and they go, "I love film, just like this movie loves film. This must be a film I like." Like, <laughs> fuck that! All right, you know that it's the same people. I think it's a movie that, like, the last you know twenty minutes or so, everybody forgets all the other shit that happened before yeah. it, and they just they like- have amnesia and they. I really enjoyed once we went back in time and saw how all that, that yeah. movie was made. But can I, I ten minutes really cool. can ten minutes redeem a shitty movie? No, of course not. No, That's, it's 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 for me. I think that might be the most overrated movie of two thousand. Absolutely, hundred percent most overrated movie. So that's the pandering of film fans award. The squandered potential award is Source Code because there's a lot of themes oh. that movie brings up about duty to country and the sanctity of death and sort of the idea of do-overs and that, you know, all the general Groundhog's Day themes. But instead, you know what source code is? It's scene after scene of Jake Gyllenhaal harassing train train commuters to no avail. It adds nothing to the movie. It's not fun to watch. But scene after scene, he's like, give me your bag. And scene after scene, he's like, I gotta get a gun. I think it's a solid B movie. I, no, it's it not is, anything it's not, inter- it's not interesting. The villain is the absolute worst villain I've ever seen in a thriller. <laughs> I would agree that he's not anything spectacular. No, not anything spectacular. He's the dumbest and least charismatic and there's nothing. He's the worst villain I've ever seen in a thriller. All of the scenes in which he is just like, oh, I got to get a gun. So there's like a long sequence. He has to get a gun. It doesn't add anything to the movie. It's not exciting to watch. The whole idea of a film like this is that you know what's going to happen so things can build. You know, it's the same way Groundhog's Day worked. It's the same way I'm, something like a, a play like Noises Off works. But Source Code <laughs> squanders all that. I'm not as bullshit. I'm not as angry. Hello? Oh. I'm not as angry about it as uh... – as uh, as you are, I I think of it as a two hour quantum leap episode. It's pretty innocuous and nothing spectacular, nothing special. Right. I kind of enjoyed it while I was watching it. I don't know. It's like a a B B minus. I don't know. I didn't. I think I it's a C C minus movie, and okay, it could have been right. an A minus. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Especially from the guy coming from Moon. Well, he didn't. He didn't write it. Okay. Well, uh, still. Hey, I lo- Duncan Jones. Guess what? People will assume that you wrote that shit. All right. Why don't you not just take easy studio jobs? Why don't you do something that's worthwhile? Yeah. <laughs> go, hey, go to Dunkin' Donuts instead. Hey, and say what hi. What the to, fuck did that mean? Say hi to David <laughs> Bowie while you're there, because uh, it's, it's his dad. His dad is David Bowie. It, it's like, oh my god, you're going to reach the three and a half hour mark. You better, uh, we better go quickly. All right, all right, real quick. Taking lemons, making lemonade award goes to <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones and Captain America. Every single line Tommy Lee Jones has in that movie is the most stereotypical, I'm a gruff military general and I don't understand what's going on. Tommy Lee Jones is somehow able to twist it and be one of the funniest and most engaging characters in the movie, despite that every line he has is the standard final draft. Like you you do final draft and you do presets. You just click on um, gruff military general and then all of his dialogue will appear. But he's fucking great. So – he took lemons and he made lemonade. Uh, and finally, best stand-up special, uh, Louis C.K. He released a he released a stand-up film. You know, 
he made a he famously made a million dollars releasing it on his own on his own website. But uh, I have to say, after watching Hilarious, after watching Shameless, after watching Chewed Up, you know, Louis C.K. is always funny, but he's sort of a known quantity at this point. You're not going to be shocked and you're not going to be aptly surprised by what he's doing. Now, Patrice O'Neill's Elephant in the Room, on the other hand, is insanely good. Now, Patrice O'Neill died. That's to- that doesn't even have anything to do with why I chose this. Patrice O'Neill was an amazing comedian and under under just underappreciated. And one of the great things he did was he was able to fucking do crowd work where he like turned the audience against each other. And like a typical Ooh. joke he would do was he would go, he'd see a couple in the front row and he'd talk to the guy and then he'd go, so how do you dream of killing her? And you know, the, the guy would <laughs> laugh, like the guy would like, how do you fantasize about killing her? And the guy would laugh and you know, everyone would shrug off. He goes, no, really? <laughs> and the first 15 minutes of the special he it somehow despite the fact that it's in a theater instead of a tiny comedy club like it's really able to capture that kind of intimate thing he did Teresa Neal is one of the funniest motherfuckers ever he's not one of the best stand-up comedians but he is definitely one of the funniest people uh and elephant in the room better than like his comedy central special better than other hbo um appearance i've seen of his really gets that um so Check, I think it's on Netflix Incident. Check out Elephant in the Room. You will die laughing. And Patrick knows comedy very well. I, I, He's a student of comedy. You yeah. should listen to him. Check it out. <laughs> All right. What are some of your awards? Two movies that would make my list if they come out, if they came out in 2011, although I think they're coming out in 2012 officially. Um, well, I guess, I don't know if Kill List would make my list in terms of the top 20, but it's a movie that really fucked with me in a oh, good yeah. way. Um, I'm not sure if all three movies that are sort of meshed together in this movie uh, gelled together in the end, but for every segment, whether if it's like a Mike Lee domestic drama or a gangster movie or I don't know what the fuck kind of a horror movie it turns into, but it really got to me. Kill List, check it out if you haven't. The Swell Season, which is a documentary about that the, one of my favorite bands, uh, obviously everybody knows Once, this is sort of about the breakup of the band and the relationship. Um, it, it really hasn't gotten an official release, although I thought it was supposed to. And it was kind of uh, debatable whether it was going to be on my list. Two HBO movies that would make my top 20 for sure are Mildred Pierce, directed by the great Todd Haynes, and The Sunset Limited, which, uh, like I said, what was that one about? In the year. Carmack, uh, Cormac McCarthy's play. Okay. Starring Samuel L. Jackson and Tommy Lee Jones. It's about Tommy Lee Jones who uh, attempts suicide and Samuel L. Jackson takes him back to his apartment to figure out why and try and help him. Okay. And it's just two people talking in a room for 80 minutes. It's compelling, uh, philosophical, and really depressing. Uh-huh. But great. Please, when this comes out in February on DVD, don't hesitate. Check it out. It's amazing. It's worthy of Harold Pinter. Um, some more movies that uh, I really liked, Contagion, Attack the Block, Myth of the American Sleepover, Uncle Boon Me, The Arbor, and Win Win, which leads to me to my Patrick Likes to Avoid Things Award. Despite my recommendation, <laughs> despite my avid recommendation 
I told Patrick, you know, you should see Cedar Rapids and Win Win. I think you'd like them, but he decided to give me the finger <laughs> and did. be like, uh, I, think I, I got better things to do with my time yeah. than see that shit. Than middling no, dramedies. No, 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 they're not middling. I think, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think they're better than uh, what Alexander Payne put out, really? which leads me to my other list movies I wish I liked more Beginners, Submarine, Hugo, The Descendants, and War Horse, which I think to me. Is like north with a horse. It's just <laughs> fucking. Let's go to this family and that family over here, and let's let's have, let's have the horse. You know, go to different parts of the world, and you know, it'll be a the Inuit good time. family where he lives in an it's igloo. A, it's a yeah. It's a good. It's it's beautiful cinematography. Spielberg knows how to tug at the heartstrings. I felt like I was being jerked off, and uh, not in the best way. Unfortunately, there was no real. Um, lubrication i don't know what the fuck i mean by that movies i can't stand from last year was another year and bellflower (laughs) and one of my favorite lines of dialogue which is completely random there are no wheels on my car that's something you should know about me which is from drive ryan gosling says that to carrie mulligan in a very weird way and she laughs her laugh melts my heart Uh uh-huh so that's so you gotta go to the doctor basically because your heart melted yeah I, I like her. And I like that movie a lot. Um, the Patrick Has No Heart Award goes to um, All the Real Girls. <laughs> His dismissal of All the Real Girls made me very sad. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. I forgive you. Um, and uh, the t- we forgot about this. Let's wrap up the show with this. Um, let's talk about five movies that we saw this year that we saw for the first time. That we really love that didn't necessarily come out this year. Right. Any, uh, yeah. My, uh, I'm going to go ahead and just give you my top 10. These oh, are cool. my, these are my top 10 movies that I saw this year for the first time. Great. Whether, whether or not they came out this year. Two of the films are from 2011. Um, number one is Last Summer, which again, super hard to find, but if you manage to find some, like a VHS copy or something, grab that shit because until Criterion saves it, you know, it's it's lost in obscurity. You should start writing letters to them now. Yeah. Number two, Battle for Algiers, which is a Criterion film. It's actually mm-hmm. on Criterion Blu-ray. Incredible movie. Uh, number three is The Servant, which we talked about. Um, movie I still think about a lot. Um, you know, Harold Printer's script and the acting, all the performances, everything about that movie is great. Number four, Martha Marcy May Marlene. Uh, oh, yeah. Number five, Gates of Heaven, Errol Morris's uh, documentary that again just mm-hmm. fucking filled my mind and uh i think is the sort of errol morris thing where he makes you think about things that you didn't think you were going to think about in well, while watching this documentary he does it best there uh number number six is uh women on the verge of a nervous breakdown by pedro almodovar oh another it's, movie i fell asleep in it's very very funny movie which i liked and it's I'd need to watch kind it. of transgressive and it's wonderfully directed and it's the kind of screwball it's like the kind of direction you don't see in a screwball comedy and it's the kind of feelings that you don't – like it's a lot of different things put together that are generally not together. And I love that movie. It's my favorite Alma Dover movie. Um, next is George Washington by David Gordon Green. Uh, then uh, – which we talked about. Streets of Fire by Walter Hill. Oh, shit. Fucking love that movie. Yeah. Uh, Phil Noble, our previous guest, hates that movie. But uh, guess Ouch. what? He's wrong. Uh, after that is number nine. 24-hour party people, hysterical, wonderful movie. Love that movie so much. Yeah, I've seen that before. And number 10, Tree of Life. 
Good so uh, those are my top ten movies I saw the, uh, 2011. I will just give you first a time. quick list. The Driver, which I saw for the first time this year and loved mm-hmm. because of Drive. <laughs> um, Clean Shaven, which is uh, Lodge Kerrigan's movie about schizophrenia. 78 minutes long, people. If you just want to feel like you're, you've got schizophrenia for 78 minutes, give it a watch. Criterion. Yes. Also. And fucking great performance by Peter Green, who played... Uh, the um he's not the pawn he's the he's not the pawn shop owner in uh pulp fiction but he's the cop who brings the gimp oh, okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 he's really fucking great in this movie um bleeder which is N- nicholas winding reffin's movie that is very hard to find i think you'd have better luck finding the pusher trilogy than this one but again it's a very good deconstruction of masculinity bigger than life which uh, I believe Nicholas Ray's movie with James Mason, one of the best movies about addiction that I've ever seen, and addiction to um, prescription drugs uh, prescribed by a doctor because he's got um, arthritis and he just becomes hooked and turns into a monster. Uh-huh. Not literally. Uh, Streets of Fire, which you mentioned. Gates yeah. of Heaven, which you mentioned. And my number one probably would be The Servant, really. I, uh, that movie fucking blew my mind. It introduced me to Harold Pinter, and um, I don't know. It's it, again, it's another one of those movies where it's very intimate and claustrophobic, with characters saying some pretty nasty things yeah. to one another. And, and last I checked, which granted was six months ago, that was on Netflix Instant as well. Yeah, very true. Um, let's quickly. I want to read just a couple more lists, but we're going to wrap things up since we're at the three and a half hour mark. Really? Three and a half? Is this our longest episode? It could be, and it's just between the two of us. Yeah. Um, Brendan Leonard, who appeared on our show twice this year. He's a great guest. He's probably going to be on for Michael Mann, right? Yes, I believe so. Mm-hmm. Um, his he, he gave us a list here, that uh, not necessarily a top ten, but um, he hasn't seen as much as he'd like. Drive. Everything Must Go, which is a movie I kind of avoided because I heard it was just eh. But I'm kind of curious because it's Will Ferrell in a dramatic role. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I know what you're talking about now. Captain America, uh-huh. X-Men First Class, which is probably one of the better comic book movies, although I haven't seen Captain America, which I will see. Uh-huh. Adjustment Bureau, he agrees with you on that one. Attack the Block and Contagion. Good list. Yeah. Good list. Yeah. Um I'll and, to check out everything must go. Yeah. And I want to read uh, my good buddy Jay Cheel's list. Number 10 is a movie I saw that uh, was the, the, his first two movies on his list I wasn't as crazy about, but I liked. Uh, number 10 is a movie called Snowtown, which is a Canadian movie. I want to say it's a true story about a Canadian serial killer. Oh, wow. Um, it's real. It reminded me of. No, maybe it's Australian. It's Australian. Um, it's a lot like Animal Kingdom. Uh, very slow, leisurely paced, very intense in in parts. It like the it's like drive in which the violence explodes on screen. Number nine, we need to talk about Kevin. Number eight, Contagion. Number seven, Hannah. Number six, Drive. Number five, Melancholia. Number four, Meek's Cutoff. Number three, Attack the Block. Number two, Tree of Life, and number one, Moneyball, which. Is a very very good movie. Yeah, I um, I definitely don't see the that you know that level of praise for it. Um, but it, 
a movie about baseball and saber metrics, I think it's called saber or cyber metrics. Um, made it fucking interesting, really, uh, compelling and fun movie. Brad Pitt, man, it's his year. It really is. He really blew it out. And like, I, I think I mentioned when we were talking about tree of life, I liked that. This is, this is, I think the final year where he's no longer the heartthrob, like all, all image of him as sort of a young heartthrob from film and Mm -hmm. Louise and him being really handsome in 12 monkeys and, uh, and seven, like that's all gone. And he's like a fucking old man now. And I've always been interested to see how the how the like batch of actors from the '90s and 2000s would would end up aging, and I think he's sort of doing it the best so far. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's wrap it up with uh, one of our very reliable emailers, Robert Renke. Renenke. I'm sorry, Robert. Oh, you, God. T- you told us how to pronounce your Plus, last name. Plus, I drank a whole bottle of Corbell. Yeah. So. Number one is Incendies. You know, based on this appearing on so many lists and you making it number one, I'm going to have to check this shit out. Mm-hmm. Number two, Tree of Life. Number three, Marcy... Fuck. Martha Marcy May Marlene. He even says, I'm with Team Patrick. Yeah. Start your hashtags now, people. Yeah. Team Patrick. Number four, Midnight in Paris. Number five, Project Nim, which, um, yeah, it's a good... Sidebar to Rise of the Planet of the Apes. It really is. It's um, very similar in completely different ways. But yeah. um, it's a great documentary. I, I really like that. I like the Interrupters the most out of all the documentaries I saw, though. So um, that should wrap things up here, folks. Do you want to do Best Actors and Actresses real quick? You know, um, mine is, uh, yeah. I'm going to go with Michael Shannon. As Best Actor. For uh, Take Shelter. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I'll go with Ryan Gosling for me because he took a character that yeah. could be one way and he sort of did an interesting spin on it. I mm-hmm. would say no mm-hmm. lead actor performances really blew me away this year, though. He was like the antithesis of how he portrayed Blue Valentine in which he's – I could see people criticizing him for being um, over the top in that movie. But, uh, you know, when you're drunk, uh-huh. you do stupid and crazy impulsive things. And right. You, you like record a three-and-a-half-hour podcast. Like I've, I seriously <laughs> – yeah, that's, that's true. Maybe we should title this podcast – like extremely loud and incredibly close yeah. because that's what happens when you get drunk. Maybe that's what that movie's about. My best actress is Elizabeth Olsen from Martha Marcy May Marlene. Ding, ding, ding. We got a match. All right. That's a bingo. Best supporting actor for me is John Hawks. Oh, shit. Oh, did you not do best supporting? And um, Best supporting actor, maybe I'll go with Albert Brooks. Just All right, be, cool. Yeah. And my su- best supporting actress actress is Claire Sloma from uh Oh really? Myth of the American Sleepover. You liked her that much, eh? Again, I could just I couldn't think of anything else. Okay. I the, but I really did like her. I thought the combination of being really engaging and supernaturalistic is not something mm. that you see very often. I'm gonna make a controversial choice uh-huh. because so, everybody knows my personal bias. Yeah. I'm gonna go with Carrie. Yeah. Carrie, Carrie Mulligan. Mulligan and Shame. Yeah. Alright. Yeah. yeah, definitely. 2011 was a hell of a year. It was. And the and the fact that I've read so many lists, too, and the fact that I, I don't really disagree actively, you know, it's like we can all have different rankings and we can all have different titles on a top 20 and most of them are good to great right. movies. That's something, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for a three and a half hour Sending episode. Sending in lists. Apologies to all the people who sent in lists that we didn't get to. 
sure there's a lot we we really appreciate the emails we appreciate the support thank you for a great year of podcasting from directors club and let's close go ahead and close with your favorite song of 2011 john mouse with believer really happy to play that for you Visit us as always at directorsclubpodcast.com. Our Twitter is at Directors Club Podcast or at, Do you at DC Podcast. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, or you can just visit me at Instant Gym. Or me at, at Patrick or Paul. Please do. Um, I'm at Mooby now. I don't know what my fucking number is or whatever, mm-hmm. but I think that site is cool. Yeah. M U B I. Check that shit out, folks, if you're a movie fan. It doesn't look different enough from Critiker. Okay, me. okay, okay. I think it's cool. Yeah. All right. Know. Anyway. Yeah, because a lot of friends are on that, too. We got we to gotta wrap Directors Club Podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. We'll see you very soon for a very interesting start to the new year in terms of our directors, Tyler Perry. That's right. Wow. Who's joining us for that? Sam? Evan. Oh, Evan? Yeah, that's right. I am. Sathoff. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he's wonderful. He's a wonderful person. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. See you soon. And much love to you all. All right. Bye. Sow. At the moment, we're preparing for dinner and watch. Ciao, 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 ciao.